You're watching the Letterman Podcast with Mike Chisholm, endorsed by the Hello Deli. Yeah! <laughs> la, 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 la. Welcome once again to the Letterman Podcast. My name is Mike Chisholm. Today's episode is a cool one because now some of you who have been uh, fans of David Letterman and company for a long time might remember a documentary that came out uh, just over a decade ago. It was called Dying to Do Letterman. And it was um, it's a story about comedian Steve Maison. And, and Steve is our guest today. Um, he's the Dying to Do Letterman guy. The good news is he hasn't died. Medically, he's okay right now. And, and, and we're very, very grateful that in 2023, at the time of this recording, we can say that. And we can talk with Steve about all sorts of fun stuff. He goes down uh, the rabbit hole when it comes to the, the making of the documentary Dying to Do Letterman. His set eventually uh, that did happen where he got to go and actually perform on Late Show with David Letterman. And, and, and some of the things, the behind the scenes things that uh, don't get captured in a documentary necessarily because they're trying to get a narrative and, 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 and you're combing through hundreds of hours of footage over uh, you know four or five years. And, and, and so we got a chance to kind of go back on that and talk to Steve, but then also just talking to Steve about um, comedy. He's still a stand-up comedian, and, and, and uh, Steve Maison's Movie Club is a, is, a, is a big thing. Go check that out uh, online, his podcast. And, and, and if you have the opportunity to go see Steve live uh, as he tours around, please take the, uh, take the time to do it. Uh, just really appreciated getting to know him. We had a fantastic conversation. Um, now, we had this, uh, full disclosure, we had this conversation before the writer's strike was settled. And so there's some writer's strike stuff in there that we talk about and, and whatnot because it, it was still happening at the time. Uh, very grateful to hear that that issue has been resolved and entertainment um, it can start to roll its way, uh, its wheel, get its wheels rolling again, I should say. Um, Letterman Podcast has one sponsor, one sponsor only, that is Rupert G and the Hello Deli. Go to hello-deli.com to grab any Rupert or Late Show with David Letterman merchandise that you can, while you can, hello-deli.com. Head on over there. And uh, yeah, I really hope you enjoy this episode with comedian and friend, good friend, Steve Maison. All right, I want to make sure first, it's Steve Maison, right? Not Maison, Steve Maison? Yep. <laughs> How you doing, man? Welcome to the Letterman Podcast. Thanks for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. Thanks, uh, thanks for being here. This is uh, obviously one of my favorite things in the world is Letterman. So I always love to love to be on anything Letterman related. Were you one of those guys? Um, we had uh, Chris Shukai on the show not too long ago. And I mean, he worked for Paul for, for years and years and years and years and years. And he talked about, he and I had something in common where growing up, especially for me, it was high school. Um, I was a guy who was, uh, you know, I had a lot of friends who were Christians and they were great. And they always wanted to spread the good news. Um, I sure was man. the guy who wanted to spread the good news about Letterman to people growing up. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and whenever I found somebody that got the joke, we saw it last night or whatever, they were always yeah. a kindred spirit. Were you that guy growing up? Yeah, I don't know. I love that he spread the word, that he was spreading the gospel about it. I, I remember <laughs> I remember the friend, John Ramsell, in, in grade school who turned me on to Letterman. And I remember he was like, he's a comedic genius. And I was in, you know, in like third or fourth grade. And I was like, I, I hadn't even heard that term before, comedic genius. And I was like, oh, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta see this guy, of course, now. And uh, I fell in love with him. And so I felt like it was passed on to me. And then I, I definitely found all the other people that were into it. Yeah. And and shared that that common bond of sharing what happened on the show last night and our favorite, you know, stories and that kind of thing. Um, 
but I, I, I don't I now I wish I was. I wish I was more of a person that was spreading the gospel. I, 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 I feel I think it's because I don't like those people who do it with religion. So I didn't I didn't want <laughs> I didn't want to push Letterman on anyone. You know. Oh, man, I, I my band teacher and I, we loved him so much. And and yeah. and uh, it was right during the, the, the late shift era. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. my band teacher was really into all types of music and stuff. And, and you know, being Canadian, of course, you worship Paul Schaefer. We all worship Paul Schaefer He's, yeah. as a musician and as a, an entertainer. And, and as a Canadian who did good, which we have this thing that whenever someone does good down south, uh, you know, we always like to uh, attach the fact of pride that, that they're Canadian. But so we would yeah. talk about it incessantly uh, in between, you know, uh, measures where we would stop for a while. And, and, and then he and I would talk for a while. And, right. and part of it, I, I swear to God, part of it was that, hey, yeah, you all should be part of this. You all, yeah. you all should be a, uh, you know, understand this comedic genius uh, that's well, there. I, um, I think, yeah, for sure. That, that thing, the, the, there's always that people having fun talking about it. And then other people are like, wait, what are they, who, what? You know, I mean, there, there's definitely that in Letterman. I mean, again, he was, uh, he's one of those guys that went from cult status almost uh, when he, you know, was, was was doing the weather and the 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 morning show and then and then even to the late show after after Carson it was you know uh, I remember specifically I think you know I I've said it before my my parents were like I don't get him I don't get him and you know what I mean and it was it was something new and different and so it 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 was interesting that he went from kind of that cult faction of the people who loved him loved him even though a lot of people didn't get it or like it yep. people who loved him loved him and then he grew into something even bigger where he was. He was the, the the Johnny Carson of his time, where you know he was uh, you know uh, everyone did love him, and he was you know uh, you know the big guy rather than the cult guy. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and and I mean we've used this analogy on the show before with with a few guests, um, and I don't know if you're a huge music fan or not. I'm a giant music fan, and I can remember, especially in the time of the '90s, when all of these indie bands yeah blew up suddenly, yeah. and and yeah. there was always a backlash of people like like a Green Day is a good example. Uh, yeah. You know, Green Day, Kerplunk is out and people are calling it, you know, unbelievable and revolutionary and all this sort of stuff. And then the moment Longview hits, uh, the, some of those people were like, oh, I don't I don't like that. And it's cool because there's some people in the Letterman camp who feel the same way. They worked for him for years and years and years and years and years, right. you know, on the indies, quote, quote, yeah. unquote. And as soon as the show got big, they moved on to other things. And it's just it's, it's such a, a fascinating right. tapestry of a body of work. Would you say that uh, Dave is a, a direct influence into how you got into stand-up, Steve? hundred percent. Yeah. There's no doubt. Uh, the story I've, I've I've said already about discovering when I was young, yep. and then uh, it feeling like you know I'd been watching, staying up, trying to stay up late and watch, you know, just to stay up late as a kid, right? It was just yeah. fun to stay up late on a school night, and so to, you know I'd watch Johnny Carson because my mom and dad would watch him, and I liked him, and he had comedians on, so that was fun. And then all of a sudden they would go to bed sometimes. And then there was this guy on afterwards. I, I remember seeing the show before I ever saw him on Johnny Carson, like guest yeah. hosting or even being a guest on Carson, seeing the show and being like, well, this guy's really funny. And like, I thought it was funny. And then, and then my, that my parents didn't like, didn't like him or didn't get him was even more fun. You know, it felt like you had something secret. And so, yeah, I think it was a real shape. You know, music's a great analogy in it that I, because there's an influence then it's it's what you're it's I didn't understand uh comedy I knew what I knew I laughed but I never looked at it further and that he was doing stuff that was so different yeah 
you know, than than other late night shows had been done, and purposely, you know, because he was restricted a little bit from Carson, what he was allowed to do. Uh, but it was so different, and it it felt, you know, hipper and cooler, and uh, yeah, hundred percent. I think it shaped. Yeah, I think it shaped my my sense of humor. I it shaped, you know, um, how silly I wanted to be, and uh, you know how how you know kind of original you wanted to kind of kind of be that kind of stuff, and a hundred percent he's he's an influence in, in so many ways but even in just in that just yep. the sense of humor uh a direct line to him i think about uh some of the stand-ups that appeared um and and how 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 they contrasted very much uh to johnny i i could say this i can echo the exact same sentiments you know uh, yeah i used to sneak up after my dad would finish the tonight show when i was really young so yeah. i could watch late night uh, but when i became kind of old enough to understand you know, famously used the idea of the deconstruction of the talk show. And and, and I, I do understand that point. Yeah. Uh, I think it's overused a little bit, but, but yeah, the fact that they would have writers on, they would have different yeah. things where they talk about uh, the mechanics of comedy, that kind of a thing, Right. but a different culture, the comics who were on there were very different than the comics that were on the tonight show, other than a couple yes. of notable Seinfeld being one. And, and I think there's one or two others. Uh, yeah. Were there any standups that were on Letterman uh, in late, the late night days that, that you, attracted to yeah to uh andy kaufman uh coming out i mean amazing and then i still remember the first time i saw um sam kinnison come on and i it's one of my favorite things ever uh because it's every listen as a comedian there's there's so many restrictions they have on this stuff and it's it's yep. so silly especially with whatever it's i'm not blaming this on letterman or or carson or those guys because they no. they have no touch with that that bottom rung of of what the guy who is booking the comedian is doing yeah um but they really just think again the same way it's just the structure of the base how the late night talk shows are done this is how the comedy on late night talk shows are. So you're going to come in and you're going to walk out and stand on the star and do your set you know yeah. and all of a sudden here comes kinnison and he comes in and he, he grabs the mic stand and he tosses it to the side and as my friend, a comedian from San Francisco, always points out, he goes, if you listen closely, you can hear the mic stand crashing into like the equipment on the side. And then he's he's a minute later, he's in the crowd, like yelling at people and doing it. And it's it's so uh, original and unlike anything you had seen on on TV or co comedians on TV at that point, even still, yep. even if someone did that today, it would be. And that was, you know, 40 years ago. Um they're so restrictive. Conan was, I will say Conan, who, who we both know is a huge, huge, huge Letterman fan. Absolutely. Uh, he, uh, he was pretty good about that, about uh, kind of letting comedians be a little looser in the, in their sets. There's some really funny late night comedy sets that ended up being on Conan, but uh, Kaufman and Kinnison are the two guys that really stick out. I mean, I loved, I loved, it's so funny because, you know, people who are peripherally Letterman fans or, or came at, came to it late in like the late show, they forget it was Letterman who introduced Leno to the to the country. You know, it was he he loved Leno and he would have him on to do stand up all the time. I mean, it was yeah. So and some would say people. saved Leno. Uh, many yeah. people like like yeah. like guys like Bill Carter, like like educated uh, people who are who are deep into this. You know, uh, with with the idea that that his tone um, and especially the panel, like the stand up was, but the the, right. the way that. Um, uh, that Dave could take some of, of Leno's stand-up bits mm -hmm. on panel yes. and then enhance them because of his razor-sharp yes. uh, whip-like quips that yes. would come back in responses. And, 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 and I just, I loved watching those two go back and forth. 
Um, so much fun. So yeah. much fun. That's what I mean. It, so it, it seems weird to say, as a Letterman fan, one of my favorite guests on his show was, was Jay Leto, the, the comedian. But it, he, he was. He was great. And they were both. And you could tell they both, they at that time, they both really loved each other. They both respected each other and yep. thought each other were funny. So, yeah, like you said, that back and forth was so fun to watch. Well, iron, iron sharpens iron. And and I mean, um, now mm. I guess if you were to describe it, it'd be like the modern day equivalent of a Facebook relationship status. It's complicated uh, because yeah. there was so much of that yeah. sharpening going on back then. Uh, and then resulting, of course, in in, in in late shift one and then late shift two and and, and all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, di- let's go back to that real quick. Uh, the Comedy Store. Mm-hmm. Is the Comedy Store a place that uh, that you frequented? It's funny because the comedy store, well, you know, like anything, like we've been talking about Letterman, the show, what it is at one time and what it is later and uh, how things grow like that. When I first moved, I started comedy in San Francisco. Yep. And uh, when I moved what down, here, uh, so this would have been 99. 99, okay. 99. And so I moved down here to like where I'm at now in 03, I think it was, end of 02 or 03. And um, the comedy store was a... a by the way, can we swear? Can we? I, I should sure. ask you this. Yeah, it was a, it was a shithole then, and I everyone would agree. <laughs> it, it was not even a shit. Shithole's kind of too nice. It was a shithole, <laughs> and probably still is a shithole. But it was also a hellhole. I mean, it was it was like the closest to comedy hell you could get. Like me and my friends who had moved down all within a year would go there because we're like, oh, this is one of the the places you go and you hang out. And just every time we went in, we just it we it gave you a bad feeling. Like there yep. were comics heckling other comics uh there's a great documentary on the comedy store that came out you know over the past uh, probably two years the five-parter one right yes yeah yes and um highly recommended really good and they talk about it then this is this time when andrew dice clay and uh, eddie griffin were just coming in and they'd bump all the other comedians and they would do two and a half hours and like that was the time i showed up there and me and my friends were like what a waste. Like this is, this is what you're going to put your time into. So I, we never went back. Uh, I went there two or three times and yep. and that exactly happened. Eddie Griffin came in and he's funny, but he like, again, to take the time about everyone else. And uh, the whole idea was, it was this showcase club that you could, you could go and be there for hours and see all these different comedians, you know, it's, yep. it's what Letterman and Leno did. So uh, I quickly uh, just uh, changed my focus to, uh, the Laugh Factory, and then the Improv, because the Improv had the most clubs across the country. So I was like, if I can get in the Improv, then that's that that makes the most uh, you know monetary sense. So uh, yeah, so not much time, and I've gone back, and now as we were saying, and if you see the documentary, you see this. It had a nice rebirth later. Someone Absolutely. comes in and kind of fixes everything at the Comedy Store, and it was really the mecca now. And then Joe Rogan, who helped in that change, has now taken that all to Austin um that idea that, that they made but uh yeah is that a bucket list item for you do you want to perform at the mothership I would, of course i love it i haven't been down yet but yeah, yeah. uh definitely definitely on the uh on the bucket list that'll happen soon i'm sure well it's cool because rogan it seems that um you know he talks about how much he loves mitzi and and uh, in the documentary you're talking about he tears yeah. up talking about her yeah um and, and what she meant to him um and how it seems like you know uh, certainly from their narrative standpoint uh, he's trying to take all of the best parts of the comedy yes. store and put that into a club and then obviously smooth out the edges of of, of some of the stuff that wasn't uh, wasn't as good as it could be. And it's 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 neat to see this resurgence. Uh, you're talking about Rogan again. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. I, every once in a while, when I say this, I'm going to get a slice of people who right. react to me yeah. and 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 basically say that i'm 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 speaking blasphemy, what I'm about to say now. but yeah. 
if you think about the Carson bump, and I can't wait to ask you about this yeah. Letterman when it comes, but when you think about the Carson bump and the legendary Carson bump, you're a nobody, but mm -hmm. uh, but 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 they see you, uh, you know, they bring you up, and and suddenly the next day your your life has completely changed. Right. Um, you know, I've had folks on my other podcast who've been on Rogan, and yeah. and 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 I've talked to people who've been on Rogan before. Yeah. The, what Rogan now is, is the exactly. equivalent today of the Carson bump back then. Yes. hundred percent. You know, hundred percent. Yeah. That's, that's a, he's, he's that guy for sure. I mean, he gets, I mean, you, you see it, you know, it's not the, just the, the TV landscape isn't what it used to be. There was, a, you know, the talking about that, the, the watching Carson, then Letterman after him, uh, you know, three channels and, and you didn't have, it was that, or, you know, maybe Tom Snyder on the other show, or I think Nightline, you know, news. So of yep. course you're attracted to the, the entertainment aspect of it. Uh, and now it's, you know, a, a great night of, uh, of late night now is I think, yeah, if something happened, I can't remember what it was. I wish I could remember what it was. Something happened in the last couple of weeks where the ratings for something were, five or six million on one of the late night shows. And I mean, yeah. that would have, that would have got you canceled back in the day. If you only got, you know, it was, you need to have, you know, 10 to 30 million uh, on those nights. So yeah, there's a huge bump and that's what Rogan now he, he can get that in, in a podcast. And uh, so, yeah, I don't think it's blasphemy. I mean, that's, those are just facts. It's, it's true. Yeah. Um, I think, I think because uh, you know, he is such a, a polarizing figure. hundred um, percent. That's what it is. You know what? I, I compare it a little bit. Somebody who 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 kind of gave me some uh, threw some shade on me for 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 saying that I kind of had a dialogue with them, and then it's funny once you start having a dialogue with some of these people, um, they well sometimes and most times yeah. that I find if they're willing to have the dialogue, they calm down immediately, and <laughs> right, right, and, yeah. and 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 then it becomes a, a, an actual rational back and forth right, conversation, exactly. and I think um the, but the polarization with 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 Rogan now. I would compare that to the polarization of Howard Stern back when we were kind of more in our mm -hmm. formative years. I think they're, I think they touch on similar things. There's a lot of misunderstanding for certain. Um, yes. and then, and then some of the, 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 the things that might be controversial get, um, blown up in so yeah. many ways. That's a, that's a good comparison. Cause yeah, it's the same thing. I think it's a, uh, you know, it's a, a lot of people, Listen, even back to the Letterman thing, there's a lot of people that love him, a lot of people that hate him. And, you know, again, I think Letterman, as he grew, became more lovable and True. mainstream. Uh, but at the at the time, and that's, you know, Letterman himself was a big Howard Stern fan, you know, mm -hmm. uh, loved him. He's the he's the guy that introduced him and made him bigger. And uh, yeah, I, I Rogan's for sure like that. And again, I, you know, there's plenty of things uh, I don't agree with Rogan about, but there, there's no doubt at his impact. And uh, he's a he's a. a for lack of a better word, thoughtful guy. I mean, he's, he's, you know, you're talking about this, this stuff he's done with the comedy store and the well thought out, like exactly. It's what he's done. He's, he's trying to replicate the Mitzi Shore comedy store, the best of it in Austin there. And he's being pretty successful. at it. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt uh, his results, you know, of what he's well, doing. And the thing is he has such a pure love for stand up, Like, 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 you know, he'll have guests of also crazy world renowned authors and scientists yeah. and these people on the show. But when he has a stand up on and he starts talking about his love for the crowd yeah. for stand up. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's, it takes a special breed to do it. You've done it for a quarter century now, which is, which yeah, is bonkers. Geez. Yeah. Um, I, haven't said, I haven't, I haven't put it in those words and now you scare me. Like, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. It's a long time. Yeah. Well, and, and, and okay. So now, 
uh, I'm an I'm a, I'm a jerk um, because I didn't uh, I I should have my first question for you, Steve. Um, mm-hmm. My gosh, should have been how's your health? Oh well, they, yeah. They, thanks for asking, but no, that's uh that makes me feel good that that doesn't have to be the first question anymore. Is that uh, yeah? I uh, obviously I'm here. Uh, I feel great. Uh, you know, for 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 people listening, I in 2005 I was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Was given a worst case scenario of five years to live, and uh, here we are. 13 plus years after that worst case scenario. I want to ask you about that real quick yeah. because, um, you know, obviously when you do a documentary and we're going to talk about dying to do Letterman, of course we will, of course yeah. we will. But, but gosh, I just like connecting with you about movies and all the other stuff that we, yeah. we connect on. Um, so of course we're going to talk about that. Um, you know, when you're doing a documentary, you know, you obviously have uh, uh, narratives or phrases or whatever that you use. That was the worst case scenario that they gave you. Did yeah. they gave you, give you a best case scenario as well? Did they say you could live, a long productive life and 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 still be doing stand up you know some 15 years later well, that, it's funny cuz i know this is going to sound silly cuz it's it's a documentary that's uh, about me sure. <laughs> uh and I, so sometimes i forget what's in the documentary what isn't in fact we were just talking about something else about the comedians from letterman and i was like was that in the movie or not it was in the back yeah. of my head so I, sometimes i forget I, so i can't remember if it this mentions this miss makes me think no the way you phrase that but the way that happened is we went, my, she's my wife now, but my girlfriend at the time yep. uh, went to the oncologist when they came, it was this panel of doctors and they said, Hey, uh, this is a very rare uh, kind of cancer you have. It's stage four because it's spread. And uh, we've seen people live anywhere from, you know, maybe 10, maybe 15 years with this. And we're like, it sounds like you're us and they're like that's best case and we're like well both of us looked at each other we're like you could tell they were soft shoeing it so we're like okay so you're saying best case is 10 to 15 years maybe yeah. like you've seen this what's the worst case and that's when they kind of like got serious and okay and they're like okay the worst case is you know five years yeah so that that was yeah that was kind of it so we 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 had a pressure because we knew they were just trying to be nice and be like but don't tell them the worst case tell them the best case um and 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 like uh, the Shawshank Redemption, you know, when Red says to Andy Dufresne, "Get get busy living," or Andy Dufresne actually says it to Red, and then Red echoes yeah. it later in the movie, "Get busy living, get busy dying." Um, yeah. You kind of had that 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 call to get busy living, and I'm so grateful that you still are first and foremost. Yeah, and, and things are things well. are knock on wood, things are good right now. Yeah, Every, everything's good. I have I have some scans coming up. I go to scans every year. I do blood tests every every six months. Yep. Um, so I got some coming up in December. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm feeling great. Uh, I still have uh, the cancerous tumors on my liver, but they haven't grown. Uh, so that's been the, the good thing. That was the worry that they would they would take over the liver and shut it down and uh, or spread again. Uh, and they haven't. So uh, very lucky. Um, one of the moments of the documentary that I just thought was so beautiful to get busy living, get busy dying you know, your, your idea is I'm not going to be a burden to you. Her idea. No, we're getting married. And, and the idea, okay, we're getting married. And you got married at that case. That's just one of the sweetest things I've ever heard. Is your wife still into uh, the holistic practices of any, uh, of still, that yeah, kind of stuff? still into, to, to all that stuff. And you see in the movie, all the different things she comes up with, yep. uh, to try like, you know, uh, dietary cleanses, exercise, yoga, all these things, meditation, there's even this one, uh, I think, I just don't think we had footage of it, but it was this kind of Maori healing kind of thing, yeah. you know, this New Zealand guy. And I remember I was, I think I was naked on a table, but there were other people naked on tables. It was outside. And this guy- Sounds just, like a party. Yeah, I, it was. It should have been better than it was. It was painful. He, the, he had this tiny little thing. It was like a, 
almost like a toothpick. And he just touched my heel. And Mike, it's the loudest I've screamed in my life. And my wife would later was like, he just barely touched your thing. I was like, I don't know what pressure point it was, whatever. You know, and of course his thing was like, that's that's the releasing of this. Now, so it, you see in the movie, what all the different things she comes up with. Uh, you have cancer. We got to try all these things to, to keep you alive. Yeah. And I'm, I'm here, which is great. But the, we were trying so many things, we don't know which one worked. You know, <laughs> was it was it all of them? Was it none of them? Was it you know? Uh, so you I know, gotta ask you, how much of it do you think is attitude and mindset? I, you know, gosh, I that's such a tough question because I, I wanna, I wanna believe, yeah, I wanna believe that's got a big effect. Uh, but also, you know, I I'm a comedian, so I I have <laughs> I love the onion. You know what I mean? I love the onion. One of my favorite headlines in there, and I'm going to butcher it is, but like a local woman, you know, loses, uh, you know, a fearful fight with cancer or something. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, it seems unfair to me to be like, well, I'm here because I had the right attitude and other people aren't because they didn't. You know I hear, I yes, absolutely. So, uh, our journeys so, are our own and, and that's yeah, true, but there are commonalities exactly. with other stuff that's out there and there's ways that yes. we can. So I, I appreciate that disclaimer for and, and that sensitivity for those who have yeah, their yeah. journey and their journey isn't identical. But that being said, I listened to your TED talk, uh, the one about chasing your dreams. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, and again, it goes back to that get busy living, get busy dying thing. And and, and I mm -hmm. feel like it just it just feels like that is uh, it's got to be a recipe or an ingredient, I should say, in the recipe. 100%. And I, I think if, for people to check out the TED Talk, uh, thanks for, for mentioning that. Uh, but of course, I, the whole idea when I was doing it uh, was to kind of have an anti TED Talk. You know what I mean? Like I started with like making fun of all these these things that you usually say, you know. All oh, the, the list, the list of platitudes. The oh, list of that was different, so good. Yeah. You, know, uh, you know, affirmative, you know, things that you would tell yourself and the inspirational quotes and yep. then kind of making fun of those and just like that in the end. All it comes down, you know, all that it comes down to is, is uh, you know, chasing your dream, and and that's it. You know what I mean? Like the 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 no, nothing can inspire you more than just the action of doing something yourself, and and that that's got to be worth it on its own. The chasing of it, you know. So I hope they're preaching to the choir. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. that's uh, this whole thing by the grace of 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 my wife and a little bit of luck and 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 just the whole thing is chasing the dream this whole uh you know project that is the letterman podcast right uh, that is 100% and i'll tell you this you know i make my living as a financial advisor that's how i pay the bills and all that uh there take my family out of the equation there is no joy greater than having discovered a dream and then putting action towards that dream with yeah. no outcome whatsoever except for being present in that moment Right. And, and, and like this here, there is no better feeling that I'm going to have this week than yeah. today. Uh, it just, it just is that way because yeah. you just, you want it so bad. It's clear. It's from your guts. It's from your insides. It, it, yeah. You just feel like you're, I don't know, living a purpose. I don't know if that's what it is, but there's, there's 100%. a satisfaction that is unique to it. hundred percent. And, uh, you know, uh, and again, some of these things are things I talked about with the comedians in, in the documentary, you know, yes. I, I go in, I interview the comedians who had been on Letterman. And uh, I, there's so much stuff that ends up on the floor and can't be in the movie, but I, oh, you know, so there's uh, a bunch of Ray Romano stuff that, that, oh my that, God, that so much great stuff. He's got some great jokes and stories and, uh, um, but uh, Brian Regan tells a story about um, his, his 
favorite part ever of stand-up is the the week he got passed at the club it's like none of his big success or stuff and i'm same way i every comedian i talk to they they love the big stuff and i would never trade letterman or any of the other great of course no of course or the stadium show right stadium show is a different experience though than the club with 50 people where you're experimenting exactly there's there's this romantic you always end up looking back at at the thing it's almost the birth of it is when the thing you most you know hold dear because that's the beginning of the dream of like no i started this and it's here and it's you know uh you know I'll, i'll i'll bet dave looks back to you know the the weather show or 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 late night versus late show and uh stern looks back to you know dc when he was first starting and you know uh i i think those things when when everything started that that becomes such a romantic period because you're you're finally on the path you know what i mean um i believe it was i'm trying to remember whose episode it was i think it was one of the steves by the way you are the fourth steve on the uh on the letterman podcast we've had uh, steve weiner of course the original writer who discovered calvert forest and through you know the, the breaking glass We've had uh, Steve Young on a couple of times, and we've had Steve O'Donnell on. Oh, jeez. You're, so you're number four. Good company to be in, by the That's way. That's great company. That's good. Boy, uh, uh, right? So, so um, many I, Steves, yeah. <laughs> these are the Steves I know. Um, that's a kids in the hall Canadian joke that Canadians <laughs> would get. Um, there's a, uh, but I asked, I think it was O'Donnell. I said, is Dave nostalgic? And and that's, because that, nostalgia is one of those things that I just adore. Right, um, right, and and Dave's yeah. version of nostalgia, I think, is extremely unique. And I don't know this. This is one thing. It was. A, it's a question that I will ask him one day, or I hope to ask yeah. him one day. Sure. Uh, you know, clearly, you see it with cars, the types of cars he likes, and and all of that kind of stuff. You yeah. see nostalgia there. But I think that what you're talking about. I mean, when you listen to Dave talk about the Comedy Store, and mm-hmm. and some of the different characters and antics there, and 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 you get him, you get Dave talking about. You hear him talk about George yeah. Miller. Or, right. or or some of these other people that he was with, you know, Altman um, or Jason yep. or, or some of these, you know, people that he was with. Uh, they're, they're, it's a family and a brotherhood and it's crazy characters. So it's kind of like a cartoon and it's, 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 it's just a, an eclectic group of people. I have a lot of standups in my life locally. I wish I had the gift, um, but it just seems to be like a culture unto itself that creates that nostalgia and really touches on that and really, because maybe it is so personal. I don't know. Yeah. Is that what, is that what, why those feelings are there? I, I think it's, it's personal. And I think it's such a unique thing. Like it's a, um, I, I always hate, you know, I was in the military when I was younger. I, I, yeah. I hate to, you know, compare anything to like not war or anything like that, but there is a, there is a, and, and you know, this, this goes to sisterhood too. It's a band of brothers kind of thing that, yeah. that, that when you meet another comedian, you immediately know what they've gone through to kind of get there and how awful it is at the beginning. I remember, you know, when you go to a movie theater, like before the show, they'll uh, they'll show like local businesses or something, you know, like up on the screen or a trivia, like, can you guess, you know, who, you know, what 1993 movie won the Oscar for best friend? One of them this week, it was just a quote. It was from Dane Cook. And oh, yeah. it said, I wouldn't wish the first seven years of comedy on my worst enemy. And, uh, I, I I get what he's saying. That's it's so hard, it's so unnatural to do, and the learning process is so tough. And what you have to go through, uh, it's a uh, a business of rejection, mm-hmm. uh, both both on trying to sell yourself to people, but also in the moment, it's literally throwing your yourself and your art art out and getting an immediate reaction. So it's very very tough. So whenever you meet someone else who has done that, or that you started with and you shared those moments with, yeah. 
There is. There's like a. It feels like, like I said, for for lack of a a, a worse comparison, like a band of brothers, like kind of war. We were in the trenches together. So you yeah. can see, Dave definitely has that. Uh, that he had the. He would have these guys on that he started comedy with, even the ones that weren't famous, like Dries and like uh, like I started the Barrier, Barrier Bob Sarlat. He'd have on every year. Or, yes. Uh, you know the, these guys he started with and were friends with, and he would showcase them. You could tell. Yeah, it was very. Uh, uh, again, Dave's, you know, for lack of a better word, probably, a, you know, uh, you can describe him as a, a you know, um, grumpy sometimes, but he, I <laughs> no, he's, really, he's got, he's got that soft spot, I think, for those guys that would show through. He would never, never, he wouldn't show it a lot on the show. Like you, you, you would never describe him on the show as being nostalgic, but his actions yeah. kind of, kind of showed that, you know, to, to describe that, uh, just, I love whenever Conan talks about, dave's disposition um yes. and he's done it in a few different ways in a few different venues along the way and and uh you know he'll say it like you know dave's not necessarily the most you know there are times where he gets grumpy like he just he'll say yeah. that but yeah. then he'll talk about like when the genuine delight in seeing him happy and yeah. i certainly certainly feel that yeah. uh you know when when you see him when you see him happy it's 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 really really good to see that i uh i love i love that we're having this yeah, see this what... is that this is that thing there aren't a ton of people who can get as much enjoyment talking about the minutia of this stuff. And this yeah. is kind of what it's like being in that club in high school with that other friend right. who, who, who understands yeah. this. This is what it You're feels like. Oh like. yeah. There's someone else who, who, who examines this as much. Listen, that's, this is what I loved about Dave is that everyone else seemed like even Johnny, I know Johnny grew up in Johnny Carson grew up in Nebraska, but he seemed yep. like a Hollywood guy. You know what I mean? Like he had, he had he had he had nice tailored suits and was suave and he was you know uh, and his guests were were pretty good looking and that kind of thing and then there was Dave Dave felt like he was from Indiana he had a gap in his teeth he was an and, outsider yeah he had he 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 wasn't always happy and he wasn't always just like a, a you know like today like a Jimmy Fallon smiling and that's great and, you know there were times where he was uh, you know uh, ornery with people and it, it was nice it felt real. And, uh, you know, Cher calling him an asshole. And, you know, yep. like, like and, and she's not wrong, but that's what we liked about him, right? Like, <laughs> uh, well, They just put that clip on the official channel, actually. And uh, oh, nice. by the way, that shows how powerful the official channel is. I don't know where they're at for hundred, how many hundreds of millions of views they've had. Uh, but but it's only been around, like, a, like February will be two years. Like, I mean, we're oh, talking wow. a year and a half here kind yeah. of a thing. And they finally put that clip up on the that's official true. channel. That shows the breadth and depth of the body of work. I mean, it's just, it's just absolutely insane when you think about all the eras that he went through. Yeah. Um, all of that. Now I got to ask you this question because I'm super yeah. curious about your perspective. Uh, some people, yeah. Uh, were you, were you a late night or a late show guy or did you just enjoy the whole thing? I enjoyed the whole thing, but I was always, as I, as I look back, I think in the moment I just, I was along for the ride, but yeah, in the, in the long term uh a late night guy yeah i thought so and in the documentary yeah. it was funny because in the documentary you always said you know i've always wanted to be on the late show with david letterman yes. and it's like and, and of course that's what you got to say because that's the show that's out there and that's, that's where you show. that's where letterman yes. is right and all that stuff but i was like yeah i feel like um you yeah know, no, it, you, you you read it correctly that's yeah 100 percent. i mean that because that was the, that was the time that was when it was but listen i as much as i'm a letterman fan i'm gonna all right i'm gonna come clean this is gonna hurt me with anything letterman probably going forward I'm not I I'm not a fan of the 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 current Letterman interviewing people show. Like people you're not, know you don't I'm like the long form fan. as much. 
I he's he's just it just seems more like it's Dave interviewing people, which is great. Yeah. Um he's he's a good he's a very good interviewer, but he's he's just very much like he's he's older Dave and he's more thoughtful. It's 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 like, you know, Stern's a great example of like loving Stern back in his kind of rebel days. And now yeah. he's just become more mainstream and he's getting bigger interviews and he wants bigger interviews. So he's going to be nicer to people. And yeah. that's that's kind of what Dave's doing is being nicer. I loved when Dave just had enough of whoever he was interviewing and he would be contentious. And that was that was the fun of it. And that's that's when you really got to see what I'm saying is, is that, uh, you know, as great as Stern is, as great as Letterman is, any uh, different people could do those interviews where you you ask them the questions and sure uh, and and it's still great and i still watch the show i'm just saying oh, of course yeah you're, you're going way back commentary. late night late they night were very different the, animals you know what it is it's it's elvis right it's elvis uh, which <laughs> yeah yeah and and you know what uh, cards on the table i like the vegas on drugs, fat Elvis is my favorite. Oh, but you love in the ghetto Elvis. I love it. I love it. But it, <laughs> I, I'll go, I love all Elvises, but that's my favorite one. I lo- I like that he was, yeah, he was all drugged out and, and still doing it. Uh, but you know, it's, but it, it, oh, go going ahead. back, it's late night for me, for sure. Well, and it's funny because it's, it, it's, it's clearly an evolution though, as well. And I mean, we're just picking different, different times. You could do the same thing yeah. about the Beatles. You could do the same thing about anything that has a long body of works yes. where there's variety within that body. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the things about Carson that's so interesting in how uh, steady as she goes, Johnny was yes, right. in so many ways. He was he was really steady as she goes. And so but Dave has evolved in three or four different ways. Yeah. Um, and 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 uh, like I think about there's a there's there's a part of I was I was actually I, I mentioned this to uh, to Dick Cavett, which which uh, appeared a couple of weeks ago. Um, the. Uh, you know, there comes a time with certain hosts yeah. where a shift happens and they become bigger than the guest in the chair. Right. And yeah. I think when that happens, there's a responsibility that happens. Like, uh, did you watch the U2 special? No, I have. Okay. Yeah. There's a part in the U2. Hey, I highly recommend it. Yeah. There is a part in the U2 special where Dave looks at Bono and says, have your, um, has your activism or your antics, I forget which word he uses. He would yeah. obviously articulate it better than me. Uh, but has your have your antics ever embarrassed the band? Mm. Now, for a guy to look yeah. at the biggest, arguably the biggest, you know, biggest super group in the world, the front yeah. man of the biggest super group in the world, and to ask that question, right? You got to be a certain, <laughs> you got to be a certain place to do that. Yeah. And there's a part of me, if you look at this as circular, um, you know, you think about it's that same muscle. Mm-hmm. that he is starting to use the person who was ill-prepared or 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 uh, yes. ill-advised or whatever. Yeah. And he starts using him as the comedy speed bag. It's almost that same muscle, isn't it? That's you telling that just that question makes me like, right? okay, well now I got to see this. I mean, cause that's, oh, like, it's so that good. Sounds I, like old Letterman. Yeah. I cannot, I cannot recommend it enough. Um, and it combines, you know, his love for music. And then of course, yeah. if you like you too, you will just, oh my God. But yeah, him ask, like he asks the tough questions and he gets yeah. into stuff. He goes down some nooks and crannies, but it's funny that you mentioned the old Dave who uh, could get, um, you know, irritable with people who didn't bring their a game in the chair. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, at the highest level, that's, that's the, that's the standard that they have. Yeah. Just ask any of the writers, um, whether they're there a little while or a long while, the standard yeah. is high. And if someone's going to sit in that chair, you got to bring your a game. Yeah. Okay. So he would get contentious like that. 
I actually thought during the my next guest interview with Kanye West, hmm, I wonder what it would look like if old Dave interviewed Kanye. So that's yes. a thought that I've had as well. Right. I right. think it's a, like, it would be very, very interesting to see him get into a row with somebody. Yeah. Um, every once in a while, you saw it on Late Show. You saw it with Bill O'Reilly. You saw it with yeah. a few other people, but yeah, hundred percent Uncle Trump it, with the, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, he, the one I, I remember saying recently was he interviews Lizzo. Yes. And uh, Lizzo's very nice and she's very charming. It is, but I, I was just, there was a couple of times where Lizzo's like, all right, we're going to make her, we're going to record you, Dave. And it, it just felt so produced. I was like, the old Dave would be like, I'm not doing this. Like, I'm, <laughs> you're not recording me. And this is stupid. Like, you know what I mean? Like he would have, he would, he would have been mean to her, but he'd be like, that's not, I'm not doing this, you know, yeah. kind of thing. So um, again, I, I'm glad he was. And I know there's people who love it. I'm not, you know, I, I never like to uh, yuck anyone's yum. As they no, say. no, 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 no. It's it's it's, 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 all... it's the one I love is the 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 yeah. The... And that's and that's what it is. It's a matter of uh, Don Giller actually has a really amazing quote. I I had him on a few weeks ago, and I I, I um I heard him say in another interview though um that that when you know somebody asked him, well, which do you prefer, late night or late show? And he's like, it's like comparing early Mozart to late Mozart. <laughs> yeah it's, it's mozart <laughs> like yeah. but you know there are things that speak to others uh you know differently yeah. um but yeah i i uh i oh god i love being able to talk about this but this, this is yeah, so it, great it, it, it's that stuff but I, I love like i said i i was so into it and with the comics yeah. and then later on 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 late show when he he would do like uh impressionist week or magician you know all the, these yep. different things um, I would watch Dave because again, I you you just feel like when you're so deep into a show like this, yeah, you you really feel. I I know this sounds so you feel like you're friends with that, like you know that person. You know what I mean? Like I know Dave, like his wife knows him. Like I can tell when he's grumpy. I could tell yep. when he's in a good mood. I could yep. tell. So I was so good. I could tell how Dave felt about the guests. Like I, I would pay attention to what he said to his guest at the end. Like when he'd walk over after, a, you know, uh, with a magician or something like that, he'd be like, if it was a comedian and you could tell he loved comedy and I'd heard he did, he didn't actually like magic, you know, is what I, what I had heard, you know, yep. the rumor. so he would, he would say something like, uh, as a comedian, he'd be like, that was great. Hilarious. Blah, blah, blah. But if it was somebody he didn't like and he, he would pass off the comedy back, they loved you. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it, it would. So I was like a student of that, of of yeah. what Dave. So when I finished my set, you don't meet him before the show. So when you when I finished my set, that was the it, it hit me, and you can see, you know, you can watch this on YouTube or you, yep. know, you see the documentary. Check it out. Yep. But you can just see my set on Letterman. You can see the giddiness hits me where I where it finally hits me. Oh my God! I'm about to meet David Letterman. He's what I'm thinking. He's walking up behind me. And I'm paying attention to what he says. And he says some nice things, luckily. But I I was like, I'll be heartbroken if he goes, they loved you. you know, or, or, yeah, exactly. Here's the test. Here's the, here's yeah, the, right, right. Yeah. You did it or something like that. Something that yep. would have, would have broke my heart. But yeah, it was very complimentary. So. Um, I guess we should get, yeah. Like, I mean, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to explicate the documentary, uh, but, but at the end of the day, let's, 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 let's talk about the documentary a little bit yeah. because it came out in 09, right? uh 09 is when i actually did the show 
Um, 09's when you did the show, and then the documentary and, and the shortly comes after. Out. Yeah, so we, I guess I spoiler alerted. We already talked about it. That's why I'm here, right? <laughs> uh, I hope everybody goes and watches Steve's set uh, after they watch this podcast. Of course, don't change the channel. Don't change now, obviously. Yeah. They'll watch it, but no, please. And, yeah. and we'll, we'll uh, if, if, if it's on our Facebook group or whatever, we will put clips of your appearance on there underneath this so people can awesome. go watch it. Yeah, but yeah. thank you. Uh, so 11 is when the document comes. So two, I get this diagnosis in 2005 and, um, I decide if I only have five years or whatever time it is I have left, I'm going to dedicate it to getting on the David Letter show. That was my, yep. uh, again, and you, you hear more in the documentary. It's my idea how I got into comedy was, that was my end goal was to one day be on Letterman because I was such a fan of this guy, yep. but I was kind of, as most things happen, you, you go to work, you think you'll eventually get a promotion. I wasn't pushing for it. I was, I was just like, keep being a good comic and eventually they'll find you. And, and so when I all of a sudden only thought I might have five years left, I was like, okay, maybe you have to push this and, and, uh, and try and get on the show versus waiting for it to come to you. And yes. so that's, that's what the documentary is about. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, safe to say you're a bit of a brat. Yes. A pain in the, a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. One of, Let's one talk of my, about that. One of my I know what it's things. I know what it's like to be a bit of a brat with yeah. with Dave. When I had my little Q and A moment with him, I was a bit of a brat, so I, Listen, I I can relate. Don't feel bad. I mean, Dave's a brat, right? I mean, this is the whole. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Good point. He used to he he lean out the right when people forget. Like he used to remember the Brian Gumble years, like the him and Brian, the like the the stuff him and Stern would talk about that they would do in the NBC studios. Like they yep. they would harass everyone. So I I didn't feel bad, you know, uh, not to not for not to Dave at, at, at least of all. No, but what was the behavior though? So so tell the audience the behavior yeah. here that. Uh, so what I would do is uh, this. I know this sounds strange because this is a, now it would this would be social media stuff. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. This is this is oh five. I think maybe Facebook's around, but it's not what it was. There is now. Yeah, not even close. Uh, so no I, YouTube. No, no YouTube. Nothing like that. So, yeah. Different uh, era. All I did was I started a website called Dying to Do Letterman. It wasn't even, there was no idea for a movie or anything like this. So there's a website called Dying to Do Letterman and it told my story and it said, here's, here's my standup. If you think I'm good enough to be on Letterman, if you don't, fine. If you do, here's a link and you can email the people at, at David Letterman and said, hey, you know, I watched this guy. And then when I would do a show live, I would tell people the same thing. You know, at the end of the show, I wouldn't say at the beginning anything about cancer or anything like that. I would prove I'm funny to the people and be like, hey, I'm trying to get the David Letterman show. If you thought I was funny, please send them a link. And uh, to my surprise, people started sending them stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, first I got like an email just saying, you, you know, not going to happen. Just go away. You know, again, I think they were taking it like a make a wish. And then eventually um, it was, you know, one of those bittersweet days. But it's you see in the documentary. I'm I'm excited and sad all at the same time. I get on a late show with David Letterman letterhead, like crisp, real legal paper, you know, like you you used to put a resume on it. It's quality paper. Yep. From the executive producer. This is not going to happen. And it was basically like a cease and desist. Stop this now. <laughs> you know, like to, to stop telling people you're not, it's not going to happen. And uh, again, you're bothering it, us. You got to, yeah, you're bothering I, us letter. Right. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, I just kept bothering them and proving that I was, um, you know, good enough to be on the show. So, um, yeah. and, and, and the bit that you got on, uh, very clever. It was a lot of fun. Oh, I, I really, I really, really liked the, the, the premise, the bit, all of that. 
if and, you're and a- I gotta ask this. Um, like I think about a guy like Bill Burr, who's one of my very, very, very favorites. Yeah. Um, Bill, Bill, you know, formative years in comedy. I mean, obviously he had he had he had gone through the grind and got yeah. good at his craft. Right. But in his formative years, he made appearances before he became kind of the Bill Burr he is now. Yes. Um, he would make appearances on the show. And and I remember seeing Burr non-Letterman and yeah. going, holy smokes, this is a different yeah. dude than who's right. than who who I've seen on Letterman a couple of times. And I'm I'm curious, um, you know, you think about the hunk that you you built, uh, and, and, and I think Eddie Brill helped you and, and different yep. people helped you hone that you actually got on the show. Yeah. Um, you, you think about that hunk versus a typical Steve Maison set. How close yeah. are they to each other? Yeah, very different. I mean, it's okay. a completely, completely different set than what I, you know, again, it takes, it ends up taking from bugging them and then uh, them finally relenting to at least look at me and, and accept that I'm a real comic, you know, and it's not just this, this wish thing. Um, then finding the right material that that that's going to be on, uh, you know, uh, Eddie Brill, who's who's the, who was the Booker at that time. He says Love it. Very, He's been on here know, twice. Love Eddie Brill. Yeah, that he has his favorite comedian was Robert Schimmel, but Robert Schimmel's stuff wasn't the right thing for Letterman. It's just not, not the right thing. So there's there's a um, you know a hoop you have to jump through. So it was it was figuring out that hoop and what was the right thing. Um, so there's some things that don't come through, you know, time-wise in the documentary about the set I end up doing and finding out it. First of all, that was, that was a five minute chunk on one topic. And you, you seldom see, I remember Jim Gaffigan saying to me after it, like, uh, that that was an impressive part of it because you, you, I, I had seen only a couple comics do it where it's one topic through the whole thing. Right. You know, Gaffigan yeah, it was uh, one story. did a, a whole thing on a garage sale, like where it's the whole thing. But usually it's, you know, over five minutes, five or six different topics you you go yeah. through. So, so that way, if your first joke doesn't work, you're going somewhere else, something. So it felt like a very high level of difficulty. And I think that's the compliment that uh, Gaffigan was, you know, uh, alluding to. Yeah. Is it, If they're not enjoying that first minute, you still have four minutes of that topic that you're going to go through. So, um, so did that, you have like three or four different options when you were honing it in? before you had your date, did you have kind of like three or four options and then Eddie or other producers or whoever helped you said, okay, we're going to choose that one. Nope. It was, it was, it was that one. I had been sending different, different tapes and uh, sets and stuff. Yeah. And I, I think I said, this, it's, it, it, it's funny how it unfolds is because I was sending five minutes. Cause that's what you're going to do on the show. Five yep. to six minutes. So I was sending these five minute things. And if I had taped, you know, I'm on stage. So if I'm doing a 30 minute set, I'm only sending the five minutes I want them to see. Yeah. I had done a 10 minute set somewhere. And so it was the five minutes I wanted them to see. And then there was this five minutes of this, this joke about hotel key cards. And I just got lazy because this is, we're talking five years in of bugging them now. I just got lazy and I didn't edit out the second five minutes. I wanted them to see the first five minutes. And strangely, Eddie Brill calls and he goes, hey, I love this key card. And I was like, key card? What's he talking about? I didn't send that. And I was like, oh, geez. So it was just happenstance that I got lazy and didn't edit that out because he had told me before he didn't like, he didn't like characters. He yep. didn't like long bits like that. So these things that he said he didn't like, that bit had. So I would have never sent that him that. Right. It was just dumb luck that he got to see it and he liked it. And it's, it's, I, I always, you know, um, 
say it's like it's like where someone says hey this is what i'm looking for and they choose something different yeah then they you know, it's like someone's like oh i'm into blondes but they're married to a brunette when you when right. you see it you see it you know it and he he saw that bit and was like no that's it and then we we changed the bit around the night before which was a little scary the uh, night before the night before we that's not in the dock yeah uh so the night before i i'd been working it once i knew i had i think i had five days from when i found out i was gonna be on the show to being on the show and so i practice it here in la a bunch and then i flew to new york and the night before he took me to like eddie took me to three or four clubs to run it through and it's i gotta say it's kind of deflating because a, a late night set is so very just like we were talking about kinnison and the thing it's so very structured and you stand in one place because you're not allowed to move on the stage. So you're amidst at a, you're at a club and you're with comedians who are walking all around and they're swearing and they're blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden there's this one and they're doing eight or nine minutes or 10 or 15. And then all of a sudden you come up and you can't greet the audience. You can't say hello. You can't say give it up for the last. You, you just come up and you practice your set that you're going to do on TV. Exactly like verbatim. So, so you feel very like, even the audience is like, why is this? He's a little stiff, you know? So uh-huh. none of the sets, one was great. The others were like, man, it was okay. But I mean, enough to make you like, oh shit, is this, is this not the right set? And uh, oh. there, was, there was an intro that you don't see in the movie uh, about my wife, about she never travels with me unless I'm going to nice places. And uh, <laughs> we had practiced it, you know, the whole night. And after the last show, Eddie says, think you can lose that that intro with your wife and i it had a couple laughs in it and i was like well, that's the way i've told that joke all forever yep. i've never told that joke without it and now you're telling me tomorrow when i do it on a tv show in front of millions of people you want me to tell it for the first time without that intro and see if it works you know you just know it's a recipe it's like pulling out one part of a recipe i didn't know if the joke would work and luckily it does uh but it, it but was he's just scary. he's like a whittler and 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 somebody comes with the wood carving and yeah. and now okay one stroke here one stroke there and it changes the entire composition of the piece 100 100% you know there's a if you saw the movie comedian with seinfeld the, Absolutely, the documentary about yep. him orney adams has the yep. same thing where they ask him to change change a joke i think it was he said lupus in his thing and they didn't want him to say lupus so they asked him to change it to some other yep. disease and he, yep. the same way. And he, he was saying know, lupus because automatically lupus is a funny word it's just a, funny. It's, it's a funny word it could be out of a cartoon yeah. it could be like cookamonga or something like right, that exactly. like it's a, yeah exactly so he doesn't know if that's going to work with without lupus and, right. and luckily it does but uh yeah so there's a lot of like yeah little little weird idiosyncrasies to a late night set like that um oh god i love getting into the weeds with this stuff here with yeah. you um okay so let's go to your set because i mean you know uh, the, the premise of the movie dying to do letterman yeah. Uh, everybody watch it. It's fantastic. Um, now, now uh, let's get to the day of though, because, you know, and they did a, you, you got a lot of footage. I mean, shooting a doc over, over four years. Yeah. Um, you know, oh my gosh, the footage that you must have of, and, and the stuff to sift through. And right. it's not like you're doing dailies every day. Cause the story is yes. unfolding and you don't know what the story is going to be because it's about, it's happening real time and you don't know how it's going to end. You hope right. how it's going to end, but uh, but you had a lot of very cool footage of, 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 of finding out of getting people's reaction, hearing it for the first time, like yeah. your mom, your mom on speakerphone and <laughs> yes. things like that. Um, all yeah. of that. And, and, and um, now that being said, uh, you're being filmed this entire time. Yeah. Did that steal any of the joy 
of actually getting like like were you still able to be present knowing that your dream was coming true yeah that's a that's a great question uh because there is a weirdness to it and i think you can even see it unfold in the movie over the years you know what i mean because it takes it over five years um i think probably me and even my my wife you know there, there's these parts where we do some confessionals of what's happening and that kind of thing and you just get more comfortable being talking in front of a camera with no one there that kind of thing you know because the filmmakers were always there they just gave a camera and we're like when something important happens film it and talk about it yeah um but the, luckily for me and it is it's a great point i haven't even thought about but you kind of make it there uh is i had enough moments to myself like you even see in the movie we get the reaction from my wife we get the reaction from my mom we my friend gary who helped me with so much of this um we get their reaction you hear me telling the story of how I found out, but I got, there was no camera crew there when I found out, when I right. got the call from anybody. Yes, 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 yes. So I, that was just to myself. And I, it's an awesome story because I did have some friends there when the phone, and I didn't think it was happening. And then he surprised me. And um, so I did, though, there was plenty of moments where I just got to have the joy to myself. And then that flight home, um, I write about it. We, there's a book version too of Dying to Do Letterman that the Chicken Soup for the Soul people published. And uh I no write about it there, like the whole plane ride home. I was on the East Coast when I got the news and I had to fly back to California. So the whole plane ride home, I just remember staring out the window as this beautiful, one of those, like the clouds were gorgeous. And I was just like, my heart was beating fast the whole time. Cause I was like, your, your dream of getting on the show is coming true. And it's, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I, there were plenty of moments I got to myself without the cameras. Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. Um, And, and then, okay. So finding out five days later, you're there. Uh, the night before you're, you're, you're touring around New York with Eddie Brill going to different yeah. comedy clubs. Yeah. How cool was that? It, it was like, cool. Had you done any sets with Eddie previous or, or anything where you were in clubs with Eddie at all? Nope. Had never even met. No, I had met him in person. We worked a week together in San Francisco. Uh, oh, really? Yes. You don't see that in the movie. Uh, and I don't want to, Eddie was, again, Eddie was in a tough position. You know, he, he's, he's actually not. I would say he's not a huge fan of the documentary because he thinks he comes across as the bad guy uh, in it. Um, oh, really? And, yeah. And he's, you know, he feels like he is. He's the gatekeeper. And well, yeah, I don't. I, uh, yeah. I mean, maybe end, I'm too deep into the with my knowledge and all that stuff. And, yeah. and maybe uh, like to me, it's like, no, this is a high bar that you got. Jim McCauley. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my God. Like, I mean, like when you think about yeah. Jim McCauley for the, for the right. Tonight Show. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I don't think at all he necessarily comes across bad. Um, I don't think so either, but I think it's one of those things. Someone was making a movie that Eddie kind of played a part in, didn't yeah. know really, you know, and so Eddie's doing his job and he's thinking he's perceived one way. And then all of a sudden, because again, he's, he's, he, he does have a tough job. He's getting to help people make their dreams come true. But yeah. He gets like 16 he's... comics a year on that show. Like, I mean, yeah. that is a, that is a brutal, brutal job. Yes. And I've said that, you know, and again, we love Eddie so much yeah, love uh, on this show. That is a brutal job. Brutal I mean, how job. many people he had to say no to along the way. Yeah. Never mind a dude with cancer. Like, like, I mean, <laughs> oh course, my gosh. Of course. That's what I'm saying. I, and I saw, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I saw him as a hero and a helper and a, a mentor. Yeah. But they're, they're, he you know if you can imagine it's like someone someone showing you the part of your job that you never get to see so he's 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 got this job in the way he sees it and he's helping and he has to let people down sometimes but all of a sudden he's seeing now and there's footage 
of me hanging up with Eddie Brill and like putting my hands in my face and 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 you know being on the edge oh, of crying and heartbroken. I, I see. And he's never okay. seen that before. And he, you know, um, and me saying the things like, "Oh, Eddie told me this is what he didn't want in a set," and then later he's like, "Well, no, I was trying to say this." Like he's, you know, uh, these, context. These well, things. okay, I see. Yeah, I see. and so he sees it that way. And I'm very sad. Well, I let's set the record straight. Eddie Brill is awesome. Like I, I he's on, I read that's what I'm saying. He's love that he's guy absolutely. And, okay, so. Uh, so, but I want to go back to San Francisco for a second. Yeah. You worked with him for a week in San Francisco. That's so, cool. yeah, about three years into it, I was lucky. I was working with someone at the last second. I remember uh, it was, it was, they usually have on the weekend, like a big headliner. Yeah. And uh, I want to say Eddie was going to be in the town for a week. So he ended up doing some days. This is how I remember. I might be misremembering how the week actually unfolded, but I remember yeah. It was a change. And the booker at the punchline in San Francisco had said, hey, great news. You're going to be working with Eddie Brill. And so I was like, holy shit, I've been sending this guy DVDs over and over. Now I'll have three or four shows with the guy where I'll get to do a half hour in front of him. Yeah. And I could show it each each night. I could do different stuff and show him and be like, what do you think? There's got to be something in here. And we had already you know, been communicating. And now I get to work with him. But I will say that we... And again, to to show some understanding of what tough job Eddie has, I think, I, I, and this is how I remember it. Again, sure, sure, absolutely. Perspectives. Yeah. He didn't watch me a lot that week. I think if okay. you asked him, he would say he did. But how I remember it, okay. And, and some friends of mine who were there because they were very excited for me were like, he didn't come out of the green room and watch you. I was expecting because of this, and I was bugging the shit out of that show. There he be would a, be watching yeah. me. And find it, but he didn't. Now, to be fair, he had other things doing. He was headlining the show. So I was just he, gonna say, as a headliner, you're getting in the right to, game he's for the. Got to yeah. be in his own. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. doesn't need to be watching me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and he he had friends in town. He was running a workshop, uh, for young comics. Uh, he he had a bunch of other things in the in the mix that he was doing. So, yep. like I said, it was just when when I heard that I was gonna be working with him, I was like, well, this is the week I convince him. You know. And yep. uh, it didn't. It didn't happen. It was. I still needed a couple more years of convincing him the old-fashioned way. So. Uh, well, and and yeah, I mean, again, um, I think it was Romano. Yeah. It, I forget who. It might have been. It might have been actually a few of them might might have might might have said it. Is is um you know I've been doing it eleven years and then I finally got on Letterman. I've yes. been doing it you know twelve years then I finally got on Letterman. You, uh, you know, ten years. Yeah. Because you started in '99. Started in '99, so yeah. I mean, so there you go. So you're grinding it. it out, grinding it out, grinding right. it out. You got on there. And, I oh thought nine. I was the. I think Gaffigan Heaver says it in the movie, or it ended up on the floor. But he said, "Hey, there's there's when I thought I was ready to do Letterman, and there's where Letterman thought I was ready to do Letterman." Yeah. He's like, "I think that like, wasn't." I movie. still think I was yeah. ready when I thought I was ready. You know, like, but that doesn't well, matter. It's what they as think. a comic, that's kind of how you have to. That's it. You, you have to keep your. I mean, so many comics have confidence issues anyway, but you got to keep your, your engine running, <laughs> right. You know, and that yeah. laugh that you got the last night, sometimes you're, 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 you're using it, you know, to get through the next week. Cause of that one yeah. laugh that you got, but when yeah. you start to get these, uh, these things happening for you, okay. Yeah. Now I'm ready now. And the, 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 I don't know if it's ego or if it, what it is that comes up. Yeah. It's a, uh, uh, that makes, it makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. so let's get to the day. Yeah. I mean, like, so you were present enough. Like, I mean, obviously the cameras were on you. Uh, were, were, um, was pants cool with you bringing cameras in? Was that something no. that was hard to get? No, we, we lied to him again. 
Um, what? So I had, yeah, we lied. Oh, more brat night. behavior. Okay, yeah, and more yeah. brat behavior. And again, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I allow that. Uh, I think Dave in his in his heyday would have been all for this. So uh, the people people running the show probably weren't, but Dave would have been. Okay. Uh, so yes, yeah, so I got to bring. I think I got two tickets, and then they two tickets to the people. So I was going to have the filmmakers come. And then uh, uh, my friend, my mom was going to come. And then you see in the, the movie, my wife is going to come, but she and then she uh, got sick. Alert. Yeah, she gets very sick and can't can't go. And yep. so it's very disrupting. So I have these two tickets. My friend Gary, who's in the movie, ends up ends up coming with my mom. Um, and so we're like, Ugh. and uh, Eddie says, hey, I'll get you two more tickets for your your filmmakers, but they can't bring the cameras in. They can't do that. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. And, so yeah. we're like, no, what are you gonna do? I guess we'll shoot just outside. And I will say, listen, the uh, I'm I'm the subject of the documentary, but I didn't make the documentary. It's this husband and wife. Uh, they were they were straight out of UCLA at the time, yeah. uh, filmmakers. And you know how sometimes you read a book and then they make a movie and the movie's not good. These are just because they're not. You know, you got to be a good storyteller. These two are great storytellers. They find ways around telling it. Just like you said, you don't yeah. see the movement. You don't get to see the moment I find out I'm going to be on Letterman, but they find a way to share that joy by me telling the other people yes. story and sharing it and breaking it to my mom and my wife, all this stuff. So same thing with that day. We were like, okay, we're going to have to work around this. Yep. And then at the last second, Eddie, Eddie, <laughs> this is probably another reason Eddie is, is it, not that he's mad at me, but it, it, he's not as uh, in love with me as I am with him and, and him with the, the documentary is he mm -hmm. had told me he can't bring it. And then he allowed, he's like, you can't have two guests in the dressing room. room. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, it's going to be oh, the boy. filmmakers. And then they just snuck in their equipment. So that's why you see in the movie, you don't really see the, you know, me backstage or anything like that, but there's shots of the green room after I come off and I, yes. I walk into the green room and I'm in makeup and all that kind of stuff. Which, and, which by the way, is like, like uh, talking to Steve Young, you know, you think about bathtubs over Broadway. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but I mean, I haven't um, seen it. You know, he's got footage inside the office building that is just, you don't see that anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, any Letterman right. fo uh, fan, um, you know, who wants to see the kind of behind the scenes stuff, the fact that you have anything is astounding. Right. Um, yeah. Is that a rights thing? Like, I mean, I know it's the filmmakers. Maybe this is a better so, question for the filmmakers. Not that's exactly it. For you, so, but... No, no, but I know this stuff. I mean, I helped, I, I did help extensively after the movie was shot. I helped extensively, like going through, like you said, all the footage, finding out what we have and, you know, screenings and stuff like that. And so did they have uh, to get permission for that. So this, this is the fun story of it. Um, two things, two things helped us that day. So they snuck in the stuff and we were yep. worried about someone's going to come in and see it and, and see that they have the equipment because it's got to be ready, right? When yeah. I walk back in or out. Interns or are coming in all the time. They come to yeah. give you your gift bag or whatever. Exactly. One, one might pop yeah. in and be like, who the hell are these people? What, <laughs> yeah. you know, stuff, right? So one thing that helped us that day was the, the band that was on um, was uh, Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros is the right. name of the band. Now, if if once you see my set, there's a part in my set that has uh, specifically has to do with a magnet. Yes. So you can even see at the end when, when Letterman comes up and says nice yes. things. And he goes, we'll be right back with Edward Sharp and the medics. I laugh when he says magnetic zeros because I was like, I didn't know that's the name of the band. I knew Edward yep. Sharp, but I didn't know that was the name of the band. It's kind of funny. So anyways, Edward Sharp. And if you look, you can watch this set of theirs on Letterman. First of all, <clears throat> another great thing about Letterman, besides kind of all the music groups he's introduced people to. You know what I mean? Over the years, 
the some of the great performers of all time on on yep. all of both late night and late show. Yep. So many great ones. You're preaching to the choir. Yes. Edward Sharp shows up. His band has 14 or 15 people in it. Oh, wow. And so they're in a green room right next to me that is about the same size. So they're all spilling into the the hallway and the <laughs> scaffolding. It was on like the third or fourth floor, like outside. Yep. So it became such a shit show out there that no one came up to the dressing room. So that day, no one catches us filming up there because there's basically this giant party of an Edward Sharp, uh, like they're they're kind of like a hippie band and stuff. So it, it looked like the 60s were going out in the hallway there. And they're awesome. They're all high. They were so nice to me. They're like, you wanna, you know, <laughs> well, of course you, they were. They're all high. You, you want to party with us before? And I was like, no, I got to, I got to. Really oh, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> and so, okay, so that helped that day to hide yeah. the camera. And then, uh, this is funny, because I I think it's since come out that Letterman was in on it. But while we were in those years after I was on, so 10 and 11, before we yeah. released the movie, and we are trying to find ways, how how can we show the footage? How can we show the behind the scenes of this without rights? The uh, Joaquin Phoenix thing happened. Right, Yes. So that happened in those two years. And Casey the Affleck making that documentary, yep. Yes, which originally they they claim Letterman doesn't know about it and uh, he's just acting weird. He's drugged out. No one knows, right? This was a famous Letterman mm -hmm. story. It's like some of the great, the share stuff or uh, um, Farrah Fawcett, you know? And you're like, he's just acting weird and that kind of thing. Well, it comes out later. He's He was making a documentary with Casey Affleck and he goes back on to promote it. And this mm -hmm. Letterman's still not allowing that he knew that this was going on. <laughs> he, he's acting like Joaquin. Yeah, where's my money? He kept, yeah, right. that was the, he's, where's my he, money? Uh, yeah. That's that was, exactly that was, it. That funny. So that are the, the filmmakers, their eyes lit up because they're like, ah, Letterman is already allowing that Joaquin Phoenix has come on and done this thing. And he's not suing them. He's not suing Joaquin Phoenix and his group for their documentary. And they're going to use footage from the show. So, of course, he's not going to go after this guy who had cancer and came on the show and these little filmmakers that do it. He even says something in that interview about our legal team has checked and we don't have the rights to, you know, even this was all BS because we know now Dave was kind of in on it. But at the time, that gave us the green light to be like, well, we can we can use that footage without that asking. was the wing and the prayer that you needed to put the footage into the movie. Exactly. Yep. It was under under like, yeah, documentary rights. Uh, of that kind of thing, as long as it's documentary and not, you know, uh, for, you know, certain level of profits or something. So <laughs> that, and then the creative thing that the filmmakers do, the end of the show, yes, you don't actually see my whole set on Letterman. What they creatively do, we were under public use. Yeah. <laughs> you can use two minutes. I guess if it, if it's under two, uh, two minutes, you can use it. You can't use it over two minutes. So the filmmakers creatively edit in me practicing the set uh, all the sets that oh, i did it before and yep. they intersperse it for one minute and 59 seconds of the actual letterman show which was a very creative way to do it did they ever say anything nope yeah. <laughs> never said anything so uh we got away with it so you see me yeah you see dave introduce me you see me start telling the joke and then you see me practicing it at all these different places. You see the whole joke and then it comes back to let, you know, in the middle. And then at the end, when I, when I finish and Dave coming up to me, but it's, it's literally one second under what we're allowed to use in public use kind of thing. Um, if I am anything, uh, the top of the list would be daft. And so I need to ask you this question. How many times have you told that part of the story? 
Have you told it like a lot? Cause I mean, you are so polished at it talking about it, but I have a hard time discerning whether it's, Oh, I've Mike, I have told this story a thousand times over the last, you know, and I'm bored telling you it again uh, because it's just verbatim or the passion is just coming out of you and you know it so well, you're just articulating it. It's just no, falling fact, out of you. Like, that, have you told this story a lot? I, I, I mean, it's seriously, that's the people usually ask about like, Oh, the cancer and the start chasing the dream and stuff like that. Okay. Like that, People don't get into the weeds that much. So it is something I'm passionate because it's what I love. I like oh. the deep, the deep cut stuff like that. Like, oh, okay, you want to hear a real behind the scenes story? This is how we I love Letterman, but this is how we got one over on Letterman's team. Yeah. To get these things. So no, this is I mean five or six times. And it's it's one I share with the the filmmakers when we're talking to other filmmakers about it. And, yeah. and it's such a fun thing that. Uh, again, if you saw the movie, that's nothing you need to know to enjoy the movie. But it, it's no. a neat, it's 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 almost like a director's commentary behind the scenes of like, hey, here's a cool story about this. This is this is what we had to do to make this work. That's uh, actually when when I was talking to uh, you know one of the things uh, Rick Sheckman and I uh, when we had the early conversations of what the show was going to be, um, you know, he was a mentor of mine. We actually the, the the term that I used, I said, I need you to be my consigliere. And and uh, yeah, Rick was yeah. a big, big, big <laughs> film guy, and so you know, I invoke the Godfather. I, I use, there's a Godfather analogy for everything. I'm a, I'm a true believer in that. Uh, listen, this is this is my other life as movies. Uh, I'm with you. Hey, we know how to segue. This is great because uh, I'm going to segue into that in a second here. Oh, because, perfect. Uh, uh, but on. but the whole thing about this show, the idea of it, I'm the guy who, if it was a favorite movie of mine, the moment it showed up on DVD. I would pop it in because I'd probably seen it twice or three times in the theater if it was one that I loved. And I would immediately, I wouldn't even watch the film. I would just pop on the commentary. Right. And, and part of what certain episodes of this show, that's exactly what we want to be. We want to be like a director's commentary yeah. of an aspect of the, of, of, of Letterman. And so that, when you said that, that is like an insane compliment uh, to me in, 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 in this, this, in, in the, uh, uh, the identifying of what this discussion is. I love that. Um, but before we finish that last day, uh, yeah. Dave comes over and he does say the word magnetic. I did catch that because we'll be right yeah, back yeah, with yeah, the yeah, magnetic yeah. zeros. And you had used it with the, in yeah. the bit. And I saw your laugh and I'm like, Oh, that's funny. I wonder yeah. if it's the magnetic thing. Like I totally 100% connected yeah. with that moment. Um, he finished. It's done. Yeah. Uh, that's good night. Uh, oh no, it's um, not good night, but good night for you. Do you go back to the green room? How long are you there? Do you watch the rest of the show? I uh, so he he says you know, I, I think when it comes to commercial, we're still maybe shaking hands or something, or he's pointing, and then uh, he gives me one more really great stuff, Steve, and then oh. uh, I go, <laughs> this is not camera. I go, can I have that cue card? And he gives me he gives me the greatest David Letterman, like everything we're saying we love about him, the greatest look of all time. It couldn't have been better. Uh, like he he gives me this look like. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. But I think he walks over and he grabs it from the guy and he hands it to me. And then, you know, he, someone grabs him cause he's got to go get ready for the next segment. But yeah, it, it was, it was just this, like, I don't give a shit about that. Take whatever you want, you know? Uh, so it was great. And then I go back up, you know, uh, to the thing, like I said, you had to take an elevator to the dressing room I was in. And, uh, uh, it was, it, it was, yeah, it was awesome. You see me, I think in the movie, I walk into the dressing room and my yep. hands are up and it's the, the filmmakers are waiting for me and they're friends as well. So there was like, besides, besides the excitement of, of this for the film, like they were so like happy and like, 
to like, you know, were you happy? Did you like the set? Did you have fun? You know, it's, I, I've told this part of it, but it's what I love about comedy, all the things that can go through your head at, at once. Yeah. You know, you can think about the joke you're telling about how the, the, the you know, the, what you got to remember about the next part. Don't forget to yep. sell it with your face. And so while I was out there and I don't need to tell you, this is the Ed Sullivan theater, you know, Elvis got to be there, not fat Elvis, but still Elvis. the energy. <laughs> anybody who's been there, will talk about the energy that's there. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm performing, and it's this score, two two levels, and uh, I hear I hear Dave laugh off to the side, or uh, Paul laugh off to the right side at one point, oh. and then someone else in the thing, and then Dave laughed at another, you know, uh, a, a couple seconds later, and I was enjoying it, and they ask you. Uh, you know, Eddie's like, what's the last word in the bit again? Because the minute you say that last word, we tell Paul, and That's when you when say he that word, yep. Paul kicks in with the music. Yep. So I actually, I'm glad you, thank you for saying that moment. Cause that's something that the people who do, like, that is a, that is a nice little detail about yeah. the show. The music, it's a music cue. Your last word is a music cue. So you better damn well get it right. You say that right. So there was someone on the show. I can't remember who it was. Like we interviewed him, but we just didn't get it in the documentary. But he 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 changed the wording so he didn't end on that word and the so there's a pause and the crowd's laughing and clapping because it was still funny yeah but the band it takes a couple seconds to kick in and he they, they came up and yelled at him Eddie and the, they were like what happened why did you change it and he's like they were waiting for it so um, there yeah go. there's that the other fun part is you get to pick your song that they bring you out to so my song is ACDC's Long Way to the Top if you want to rock and roll uh, <laughs> so that's playing as I walk out. Um, but anyway, so I'm staring at this theater. It's going well. I'm thinking all this. I'm like, this is going great. It's going well. Dave laughed. Oh, that's awesome. What if you didn't? And this goes in my head. I go, what if What if you didn't say that last word? What if you kept going? What if you kept, what if you told another joke after? Oh, that? my God. What if, what if you kept going? What are they going to do? Like, cause there's I that brat, I there's that brat coming out. Right. I was like, <laughs> I already won here. Right. What are they going to do? Are they going to kick? Is a hook going to come out and take me out? What are you going to do? And then all of a sudden, like all at once in my head, I'm like, Hey idiot, you're on TV. Cut your losses, fool. You're going to screw up the joke here. And in fact, <laughs> you don't, you can't tell from it, but I did, I do screw up the joke. There's a little mistake I make in the joke. Um, and it, it, like I said, it doesn't come into play in the the making sense of it, but I tell it differently than I normally do. And it probably does that because I'm in my head and I'm thinking like, hey, you just never leave here right now. <laughs> like, like, idiot, get back in your body. You know? <laughs> Stay in the moment. You're, 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 you're going to ruin this. You know? So, wow. Uh, yeah, it was great. And then, like I said, yeah, when it went up and, you know, backstage, I got to run into, uh, I was backstage with Biff. Biff is, is the guy that hands you the mic before you walk yep. out. Stage manager, uh, legendary stage manager. The best. And then uh, Neil Patrick Harris was the, the you, you see in the movie, it's very common that people, Ray Romano talks about it, getting bumped. Yep. Like you're, you're supposed to do the show, but the comedian's the easy one to yank. Uh, so he had been bumped a few times. So uh, I'm backstage and Neil Patrick Harris was the guest before me and they kept going long and Biff kept giving me the look like, oh, they might stretch this might you might get bumped. You know, and uh, so then finally he comes off and Biff gives me the nod. Now you're going to go. And uh, Neil came up and he was like, good luck out there. And I was like, wow, you're a little too funny. You know, like it almost went long. He was really nice. So, yeah, all these kind of back things you don't get to see in the movie or but backstage. So much fun. And that could have been like he would have been promoting How I Met Your Mother. 
Yes, that's what he was. Uh, created about. by two of Dave's legendary writers, you know, Carter yeah. Bays and Craig Thomas. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the bar in there, based on the bar that they would go to, the late night writers would go, or late show writers, rather, would go to after. That could have easily gone long. Like, like, and it's Neil Patrick Harris. Like, yeah. a variety of reasons that could have gone yes. long. Um, wow. Uh, okay, so you finish, you go back up there. Did you take any souvenirs? You know what's crazy? I it, this is and, uh, I guess I am going to trash it. The show's done, so we don't. There were they didn't give you like I'd done other TV shows at that point and yep. uh, and since and there was usually a nice gift bag and stuff. I think there was a, a gift bag. I think there was a mug. Yep. And and there was something else, but I had to buy this shirt. I was like, <laughs> I want I want those great shows. Like they they sent me to the gift shop. Like yeah, but there was a. Oh mug hey, can we do a, can we do a quick commercial? I I some of it to the filmmakers. Okay, I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Can we do a really quick commercial here? Yeah. The Late Show, uh, the Letterman Podcast, Late Show. The Letter Letterman Podcast has one sponsor, one sponsor only, and that is Rupert G and the Hello Deli. Um, you know, the Hello Deli is selling. Go as quick as you can to hello-deli.com, the only place where you can get officially licensed David Late Show with David Letterman merchandise. Mugs, the shirt that Steve is wearing right now, he's yeah. on brand, caps, all sorts of stuff. And there's still some Rupert G merchandise. And I mean, mm. in a few weeks, this thing is done. Uh, more about that, uh, probably mid-October, you'll be hearing oh, more no. about that. No, Actually, right around the time of this episode uh, airs, I think uh, we'll, we'll, there'll be some announcements that are there. So I don't know what's going to happen after that. Uh, go, but now you still have time to go to hello-deli.com to get your late show with David Letterman merchandise. Did you go into the Hello Deli while you were there? I did. Have you I ever did. been there? We, went there? we even went with the, the camera crew. Again, just all these... All these things that they weren't able to be be in it, but we went oh, to there. I want that footage. Yeah, yeah Rupert that's was there. Cool. You went like, there with the camera crew. Yeah, and uh, he was funny and wished me luck and everything. And yeah, uh, oh, that's you know tremendous. what's crazy? The day of, I walk over from the um, just a couple things again that don't end up things. The night before, you come in the night before. My mom and I go to dinner. Uh, I think before I went out with Eddie to practice the set. Yeah, and uh, we went to the Carnegie Deli. Oh, and uh, yeah. Howie Mandel was there and he had been on the show. He had been on and I met Howie. I did some warm up on the uh, deal or no deal when it started, but oh, no kidding. He, didn't, he didn't remember me. Um, and then my mom tried to shake his hand. And of course, Howie doesn't shake oh, hands. Yeah. Yeah. That's a no go. <laughs> uh, so we met him. We saw him the night before. And then uh, the day of, Eddie gives me the call. I think you can see me getting the call in the movie. And he's saying, come on over, because they take two shows that day that I was on. I was on the oh, second yeah. show. Yeah. And so it's afternoon, beautiful afternoon, autumn in New York, September. And I walk over and I've got like, you know, my suit and my thing. And I'm walking over and I'm I, you know, beaming. And I turn the corner into the alley and they're doing this thing. It's uh, they have a pool set up and a long ramp and they're doing like uh, Purina sponsoring it. Dog the dog, the, the dog jumps. The dog jumps. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm walking up into that. It's like a circus back there. And I'm like, <laughs> how, how? It was like the Muppet Show and all the crazy stuff's going on backstage. And uh, I remember just it being so weird. And at first, my dressing room wasn't was ready. So I just walked past all these dogs. I'm watching that. That was so cool. And uh, I get inside and they're like, your dressing room's not ready, but have a seat in the like main green room kind of thing. And mm -hmm. I was sitting there and someone came in and made eye contact with me. And I looked at him and I was like, he was so familiar, but so strange looking. And I was like, who is that? And he grabbed some food and he kind of gave me a nod and walked away. And then he came back a few minutes later and he had glasses. It was Paul Schaefer, but he looked so weird without his glasses. Oh, I didn't yep. recognize him. Yep. 
Uh, he just, you know, anyway, he was done up. So, uh, yeah, all those little things that about that day that were special. Very, very much so. Um, you finish. You obviously watch the show in the hotel room. That's the that's the deal, right? Yeah. Oh, it, it, this I gotta tell you, I it really feels like there was like someone looking down on me. You know, again, I'm not a religious guy, but the, these these things that fall into place, like yeah. this, like I told you about the Magnetic Zeros and a Joaquin Phoenix, and I'm staying. You see in the movie, I'm staying at a place. The hotel they put me up is called the Dream. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you see me approach it. That's the name of the hotel. Like it's like I'm living this dream, right? Hmm. Because they taped two shows that day. The early one aired that night. The one oh, I the was on, day? yeah, didn't air till I think three days the later. Friday. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then watch it with all my friends and family. We had like so I basically had two two Letterman days. Oh, how fun was that night? Whose house yeah. were you at? Were you at your yeah, house? So I ended you up at? watching in my house, not the one I'm in now, but yeah, all my friends came over, and uh, it's it's so weird, you know, you're watching it uh you know as yourself and you know some people my friends had heard that joke a million times by that point so they weren't sure. impressed you know um but yeah my my the, a bunch of the people who couldn't make it to new york had come and uh yeah it was just amazing amazing this is uh i, I can feel it's funny because it's like 14 years later yeah and i can still feel the gratefulness coming from you like oh, i mean yeah it, this is one of those it, moments. It's the dream come true that you will still hold on to, even though it's come true kind of a thing. Right. Um, now, now let's get to the, to the bump. Was there a, was there a bump in uh, for the career? Was there a Letterman bump? I was just going to say uh, whether you came back to that or not, I was just going to say that, you know, there was a life bump for sure. Like, I mean, you can oh. see how grateful I am and how it, it changed my life in that way that I, I, again, the chasing the dream was the the magical part anyways. <clears throat> But of course, I wouldn't trade in having made it. Um, it I didn't get it, but it's not the bump. It was like uh, even when it, you you know back when there was three channels and stuff. Yep. Um, yep. So no, I did get a meeting with NBC, but I think yep. that was more about the story came out about like the 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 me chasing it and that kind of thing versus versus like oh this was yep. an incredible set on late night, you know, uh, we need to make a sitcom around this guy. I uh, see. Yeah. Like, I see what you're saying. Yeah, well, it story. is a compelling story, of course. Right. I mean, the documentary, I mean, the audience awards that it's won and the different, the different awards it's won. I mean, the story is absolutely compelling to say the least. Right. So and it, it, it ended up that someone at, uh, at Yahoo got the story and it was on the front page of Yahoo that day. Like, uh, you know, uh, comedian does letterman you know all this kind of stuff and the story was on there it's like my website broke down i was getting all these things and I, like i said i got um I, the credit itself has helped me i mean obviously it opens doors you yeah. know when i say hey, i've been the david letterman show i had done other uh tv you know uh the late late show with ferguson absolutely and, yeah uh, a, bu a bunch of other things uh but not the bump even like there's a show in the midwest here i don't know if it gets up to canada it's a radio show called the bob and tom radio show i've heard of i've heard of that show that's that's the biggest bump i've had from everything and it's a radio show it's almost like what rogan is now it was yep. maybe 10 years ago yeah uh, so that kind of thing where if you could do that you get a nice bump uh, of stuff but again still nothing even the rogan stuff isn't a bump like Carson used to be where you could you're like okay if you if you go and kill it on Carson you really can have a sitcom the next day yeah um, everybody knows who you are the next day I think is the yes. big 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 difference right um, Rogan you might now, get bookings yeah, think, as a comic you, know, you might get a lot of bookings or whatever but not right everybody. exactly you'll yeah you'll, yeah you'll have more followers and that will turn into more bookings and stuff like that so that for sure the credit and then but it, I mean it's made my life 
I mean, just incredible. Like I said, the gratefulness and the, uh, I guess, yeah, even the, I don't know, as I look back on it, you know, the little, little, we're talking about being a brat, like that little pat on the back of like, you really pulled out all the spots there. You could have, right? You you did everything you could, you know, even stuff you probably shouldn't have. And uh, so, yeah, it does feel good to look back on it like that. Yeah. Um, I, I can't thank you enough for, for, for allowing me to randomly, you know, uh, get a hold of you and and open up this this can of soup that you have and 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 it's so good and I just appreciate it very very much. Uh, let's let's shift gears and talk about the movie club and and, yeah. and what you're doing now. Um, because you wrote you you wrote on Ellen, correct? Yep. Yeah. After, okay, so, after so let's let's talk about go. that a little bit because you got do you have an Emmy? Is the Emmy in the house? Yep. Do you? Yeah. You want to see it? Yes, of course we want to see it. Um, okay. Yeah, absolutely. We want to see it. <laughs> Very sharp. I think, I'm trying to think how many how many Emmy winners we've had on here. Quite oh few, my god! There well, it is, right the, there. All Look the at writers, that. You, all the Letterman writers, of course. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is for uh, yeah, writing for Alan, and uh, yeah, so it's sharp and yeah. Uh, how long were you on the show? Uh, just one season. So yep. luckily, you know what's great? Uh, I think the season before I was there, they didn't win an Emmy, and then not that to say not to say it was all no, me. No. It was nice that that, that year, it, it, you know, it's a weird thing uh, because they do the daytime ones at a different time. Yes. Yeah. So uh, someone called me up. I wasn't there. <clears throat> and uh, they called me up and they're like, hey, you just won an Emmy. I was like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Kind of, kind what of a fun. strange call. What exactly. a great call. <laughs> All right. All right. Oh, that's tremendous. Yeah. So, um, uh, what was yeah, it like so being in that writer's room? You know, I you listen. It, I don't know if you've paid attention to the news, how much gets up to there, but yeah, it was a crazy, crazy stuff. And the head writer has since been, uh, you know, got fired in a lot of the stuff uh, yeah. because he was he was kind of uh, abusive, and I guess maybe maybe some kind of like um, inappropriate sexual stuff. I didn't I didn't see so much of that, um, but he, but it was kind of yeah, a lot of bullying and stuff, which seemed very weird with Ellen's brand um but you know jimmy fallon now is getting some backlash on well i on- see it and 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 i mean uh, i know there's always two sides to every story and when i yeah. asked the question of how what was it like in the in the room it was more like i mean when you take a pressure cooker yeah and 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 you put it on high yeah and 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 you fill it to the very 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 top and and this is the this is the scenario of of a work environment uh, I've got a lot of friends I'm in Canada. There's a lot of friends who work, we call it up North and they go up to the oil yeah. patch and they talk okay. about yeah. some of the, some of the conditions up there. Um, you know, a, a writer's room at that level. And which is why I was asking about the room itself, because mm-hmm. I mean, the, everything is at max and, yes. and um, you know, I can only imagine that the pressure in that situation must've been astounding for everybody. And you put anybody in a situation, and I'm not trying to be an apologist for anybody, but I, I just, I look at things two ways all the time. You yes. take anybody and you put that kind of pressure, you know, the pressure cooker analogy on them. And then a team of people around them all under the same amount of pressure. Yeah. And, and, and stuff's going to blow. It just, it, it, it just it is. is. And I'm not excusing 100%. anything, but uh, I can imagine that the pressure in that room like, was there relief when you, when you, after that one season, I guess is the question. Yeah. hundred percent. I, yeah. you know, I look That's back a tough on job. it again. It was, it's a nice thing. It's nice to, it's nice to have an Emmy up on the, you know, some, something in the corner here. Yep. So, and I love the, uh, you know, 
um the clout i guess of yeah oh, that's cool sure. I got for Ellen. and yeah. I mean, it's 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 a little below letterman but to to when i wrote my first monologue for ellen she's one of I think one of the top 10 comedians of all time, stand-up wise, people kind of forget what a great stand-up she was. Absolutely. Um, her Netflix so special wrote, was incredible. So yeah. too was her episode on my next guest with Dave. That was incredible. Yeah. Both of those are incredible. Right. And so she, uh, when I wrote a monologue and then I see her out on the stage reading my jokes, like that's up there with Letterman. Like that's my joke and she's telling it and she's she's doing things with it I could never have imagined. She's so talented. So, um, and monologue was it. where you, that was where you sat. You sat monologue was your speciality. I knew. Yeah. I, you kind of did everything you did. You did okay. yeah, uh, monologue. You did. Yeah. Bits and every, uh, gotcha. it, it was everything. In fact, to your point about what the boiler cooker or, or the, yeah. Uh, boiler room was, first of all, there wasn't really a writer's room, which I was, I, I had grown up watching the Dick Van Dyke show and 30 rock and, uh, you know, <laughs> that's how yep. I imagined it. And that's yep. how comedians are. We sit around a table, throw out jokes. And then someone tops it, and then you yep. think you've got that, and then someone else tops it, and you you, you end up somewhere. And then different. there's the one, oh, there's imagine. the one, like the one hits, and it's like, yep, everyone agrees, yeah. and that's it. Yeah, that's what I was hoping it was. And and Ellen, uh, and I don't want to blame the head writer. This was the, strangely, this was yeah. a year or two after the last writer strike, yeah, um, which flipped everything at Ellen. A bunch of a bunch of Craig Fitzsimmons, Karen Kilgariff, Karen Anderson, a bunch of very famous uh, writers for that show and comedians left the show right before that. Right. Uh, after that strike so it was different when i got in there there was no writer's room it was a lot of like assignment you'd you'd, you'd be given something go back to your room and you work on it alone and i was like ah that's that's not what i was hoping this would be and similar so, to dave's though similar to late show uh at the end like there was a lot of that yeah, yeah. oh 100 i mean there's yeah. i knew a writer at ellen uh who worked on the letterman show Beth sherman she'd be yep. uh, probably a good guest for you yeah um she hey, if we can make got, that happen, please let's make that happen. Yeah. I think she said she, and again, I might be misremembering this. Yeah. I think she said she never met Dave. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, Lots I mean, of folks. Yeah. Lots of folks. So to, to Ellen's defense, I worked with every, every day you would work with her. I'd be, you know, in the room five feet from her working on jokes. So one of the boiler room kind of stories is, and this became a thing to exactly what you're talking about. And I think you're close to the truth, like from the outside and reading things, it sounds awful. Yeah. And it is. I know you you want things to be better. Yeah, absolutely. We're all we're all hoping for that. But it, it is many times you would be working throughout the day on a monologue or something with Alan, and you meet three or four times, start in the morning, and you're taping in the afternoon around two or something. And so you're you're honing this thing and you keep bringing it back to her and she changed. And sometimes this wouldn't happen often, once a month. You'd give her the monologue at that last thing and the show's about to start and she'd be like, I want this changed. Well, the show is about to start. So now you have to change that on the computer and go to the the um, teleprompter yep. guy and get it in the teleprompter before she walks to the stage, which is where she's going. You have to do three things before she gets out. And the music is kicking in already of they're introducing oh her. So your heart's beating. You're like, oh, she, uh, right, right. Can't and, even and, imagine. Yeah. So, I mean, it is as stressed as I've ever been on stuff. I was in the Navy on a submarine and this was more stressful than anything I ever did in that. Like just the pressure of it. Now, a couple times, uh, a couple of the uh, woman writers, I'm not making a, a man woman thing about this. I'm just saying, this is just the yep. facts of how it unfolded. Yep. A couple of those women cried when that happened. So then the story that I started hearing afterwards, and I understand them crying, it's pressure filled. 
Yeah. But the story you An would emotional hear, man would also cry. I'd be the guy that cried course, too. Tears would be coming out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Of course. I felt like crying. So it's, yep. that's what I'm saying. No judgment yep. on them. Yeah. But the story I started hearing whispering around backstage was, did you hear Ellen made so-and-so cry? And I was like, I, that, Ellen didn't make anyone cry. Like, that's an out-of-context narrative. That's, yeah, that's not what happened here. And, and yep. Ellen's mean, and she's not, you know. Uh, so, um, yeah, that's to your point about the, it's just the pressure of that job. So even when I read that Fallon stuff, I'm sure other people are appalled. I'm like, this sounds like a, a late night show. Is- yeah. And I mean, you talk about, you know, with the Fallon situation, the one thing when I read the, the, the we talk about the article in Rolling Stone, um, you know, you go through how many show writers and so much time, uh, any job that I have uh, ever known or any workplace that I've ever known where they have gone through five bosses in five years. Yes. That's a chaotic work environment. Yes. And I understand that the powers that be, whoever they are that mm-hmm. hires that boss or whoever the business owner, you know, uh, they're trying to find the right chemistry. They're trying to make right. it work. And when the chemistry doesn't work, guess what the result is? It's going to be chaos. But in show business, when that happens, uh, it becomes a story that is extraordinary than it is if it's an accounting office yes. or, or something that goes through identical things. Right. And again, if, if somebody is inappropriate or mean or whatever, that's not, you know, that's not, I'm not trying to excuse that in any yeah. way, but I also trying to look at it from, from both sides. Like, you go through five bosses in five years, that's going to be, and I think that was the number with Fallon. It might be, it might be four, it might be six. I'm not sure. Right, right. But, but, but yeah, like, I mean, um, and again, at the highest level, like the highest level, this is, this is, this is where we're performing. I mean, this is, a, this is yeah. a, it's the tonight show. My God. Um, it's, it's, you know, yeah, the pressure, pressure. Build and yeah, the, it's the built money's in. good. And, you know, not to, not to Don Draper it, but some of that's what the money's for. And <laughs> there you go. Yes. There you go. Um, I know somebody who was a writer for 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 World Wrestling Entertainment, and 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 I mean the 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 money was phenomenal, mm-hmm. but you were at the beck and call of the business, right? Uh, you know, you could be woken up at three in the morning. You could be you you know it was, and and I mean I don't know that they would necessarily call it a hostile work environment or whatever, but the expectation on them, but the money that they were paid for it, uh, made it worth yeah. worthwhile for that. Um, yeah. I want to I want to talk about the movie club. And uh, I mean, we've gone so long. Are you okay for a few more minutes here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, great. I'm having a ball, Steve. I hope you are too. I, I am. Like I said, I didn't even notice yet how long we were talking. So great. <laughs> okay, good, 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 good. That's a good sign, um, right? So you do the writing thing. You're still doing stand-up. Still doing stand-up. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Out, of, out of clubs. Yeah. Corporate cruises, uh, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Have you gone in, uh, have you been over to, to entertain the troops anytime si- since the documentary? I literally last week was performing for the troops in, I went to Curacao uh, for some troops and then the Bahamas and we were supposed to go to Greenland and it got canceled because of a hurricane out there. No kidding. And, uh, but I'm going to Europe. Uh, luckily, luckily we're not, we're, we're not in the Which Middle part East. of Europe in the, movie, in the movie. I go over to the Middle East and yeah. Um, are a, you in, in Eastern in Europe? Like, are you going over to like near Ukraine? Uh, we're in Poland. So right next door, we're going to be. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, wow. And, and again, I, I should have said this at the beginning. Thank you for your service. I say that like that's, I'm, and I mean I that, that. Yeah, beyond anything. You. I probably could have filled an entire podcast asking you questions about is desert storm, right? That you were. That would have been uh, when I was in, it was or just after. You know, this was early '90s. I think it was desert. So well, they had so many different names for the, yeah. all the stuff. I was never near any action, luckily. Okay, okay, I got gotcha, you. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. But uh, yeah, I got. I, I'm, I'm endlessly fascinated by, uh, by that too. So thank you for your service and the fact yeah. that you go and entertain the troops and have continued to do that. That is a 
beyond admirable. That's fantastic. Um, let's By the way, the let me just plug. really, this is in my plug for the movie. If people go check out Dying to Do Letterman. Um, yeah. I know usually you say cancer and documentary. I say I'm not seeing that movie, but uh, it, it's it, it's fun and funny. And there's even explosions. You get explosions in the movie. Oh, there's my like, God. Do you ever? Oh, my God. OK, so, yes. Oh, shit. Thank you. So I'm saying, Thank like, you, for... that, that's a, you don't have to backtrack, but I'm just saying it, it, it's yeah. much better than you think cancer documentary. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a there's war zone action in this movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, you could shoot some some footage for a G.I. Joe movie if you wanted to. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes. OK. <laughs> Good call. Good call. Thank you for that. No, no, um, yeah, that was bonkers call. seeing that. And and yeah, please watch Dying to Do Letterman. You'll see you'll see that. Um, <laughs> great call. Let's talk about the movie club. Because I think you and I have a very similar, again, we talk about Rick Sheckman. I mean, um, you know, love, love, love movies. He's the authority on them. He just passed away this last March. Anytime I have a chance to mention That's Rick, it, I mention Sam. him. He And, and, and uh, you know, there are people who like movies. There are people who are enthusiasts of movies. And there are people who go down the rabbit hole deep. Yeah. Uh, you and I are certainly the latter, uh, especially on yeah. the movies that we like. Um, talk about the movie club. Okay. So, I, I, you know, it's one of those things like when you do comedy – even at the you know clubs I come up to to Canada often like but you're you're there every year year and a half so you always want like a way to stay in touch with people so podcasts become a thing yep and I'm sure this is a, a bit of the way you found your way to this I just eventually because I love it I always find myself end up talking about movies so I, I've with other comics tried three or four different podcasts of different things we ideas and then after those I I just thought to myself Anytime I could be talking in a in a, a line at the grocery store with someone I just met. And if we're there long enough, the conversation eventually will go to movies or they'll say something that I'll I'll think of a movie and I'll recommend it. Yep. Uh, or they'll say a line, you know, from a movie or something. You see just, the magazine rack and you see a yeah. star in one of the yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So there's always some so I always end up there. So I'm like, okay, well, that's what I'm gonna if I'm talking about that anyways, might as well start recording it. And then so my mom was in a book club. And I was like, well, what if I started a, a movie club? So instead, it's a, it's, so it's, I always say it's a book club for people who don't like to read. Yep. And uh, so we watch a movie each week. I announce it, you know, on my social media, like, hey, this is a movie. We play some games. Like, can you guess the movie this week from, from the poster tagline or from this minimalist poster or from these actors who are in it? And then I announce the movie. People watch the movie. Uh, they send me their thoughts. I have a guest as well. And then I share those thoughts in the, the guest interview on the movie and we watch another movie the week after. So, so when you have the guest on, you're talking about the movie, not while it's running real time necessarily. No, you're, yeah, you're, not, uh, you just discuss the movie. You bring two or three discussion points post, and then you're off yes. to the races. Post. Yeah. Post, post watching the movie, just all afterwards, sharing some trivia thoughts, insights. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned, you know, the great thing is we're, I think six years into it now. So we have 300 plus movies we've watched. And where can this be seen? Tell, tell where where can we see yeah, this? Yeah, wherever, wherever, wherever podcasts are not sold. Apple, mean, Spotify, Apple, uh, Spotify, iTunes. Yep. Uh, um, I think the one thing it's not on might be Sound Exchange. Okay, but, but Google, yeah. Sound. Okay, so it's everywhere. Okay, Every, everywhere else you can you can find it. iHeartRadio has it. Uh, all that stuff. So, and what's it uh, called? Steve Maison's Movie Club. It's just called May, my last name, Maison Movie Club. Maison Movie Club. Okay, Maison awesome. Movie Club. Yep. And so the idea in the beginning is we watched the top 100 rated movies on IMDb. Awesome. And then after that, we watched the top 100 movies on the American Film Institute list. Some of those yep. are shared on both, so we didn't go through, you know. Uh, and then the pandemic hit. So then I just started picking movies that were great 
but that are streaming on either Prime or Amazon or uh, Netflix so that people didn't have to spend money because they weren't yep. working. And so that's kind of where we are now. Movies that are considered great. Uh, like this week, we're doing Wolf, The Wolf of Wall Street. Yep. Um, so, yeah, but I, I got a good one. So in watching all these movies, though, there's these I've, I've had a bunch of theories come up on different movies. So you mentioned Consigliere <laughs> earlier. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, are you a big Amadeus fan? Uh, not as much as The Godfather. The Godfather was where that it was there. But of course, I mean, Amadeus is, of course. Well, let me get this. And you have to be a guest. You and I have already talked about this off off your podcast. Okay. Uh, you got to be a guest because I love that you love movies as much. Absolutely. Uh, I, I ask every, every guest three questions besides the movie we're talking about that week. Okay. What's your favorite movie? What's the best movie of all time, if it's different from your favorite? And then do you have a movie, It's it, you know it's a bad movie, but you like it. Kind of a guilty oh, pleasure. Absolutely. So, Are so you asking Godfather that right now? My best movie. Yeah, what do you got? Okay, uh, best movie, it used to be The Empire Strikes Back. It's now Rogue One. So I'm a gigantic Star Wars fan. Oh, wow. And Rogue oh. One actually uh, yeah. has edged out The Empire Strikes Back by, a, by, a, by, a, by the tip of a Star Destroyer. It, yeah. It's, Okay, so that's the first one. So Rogue One is my favorite because it's got to be a Star Wars deal. What's the second question? Uh, So favorite movie, best movie of all time, if it's different than your favorite. Like, okay, this is probably the best movie made. Like there are some, I have a a compliment for for a movie, but -hmm. I call it a perfect movie. Like Iron Man 1 was a perfect movie. Yeah. Um, uh, Same with actually the first Marvel Spider-Man movie, uh, Homecoming. That was a perfect movie. And there have been perfect movies along the way. Um, I gotta go with, but I call them one is Godfather one and two. I, right. uh, those are that's right. that's what I say. It's the greatest of all time because they hold up like you wouldn't believe. Still, believe the period 100%. piece uh, part of it is just, yeah, it's astounding. And I do have a, I definitely definitely have a a bad movie that is okay. just in my heart, and it's one that I know nobody will have ever ever <laughs> ever said to you. Yeah. It's a movie with a guy by the, with James Woods and Lou Gossett Jr. It's a movie called Digstown. I, I'm gonna push back. That's a that's a great movie. It's fantastic. Yeah, and yeah, it's fantastic. There's no and again, the only way it'd be a guilty pleasure is because people don't know enough about it. But there's there's anyone that's listening to us talk. You go see that movie. You're gonna like it. I mean, it's Big good. It's great. Quality, great acting. Great twists. Great yep. story. So many uh, cameos. Uh, it, it's great. Someone else. Someone else listed that as their favorite movie of all time. Um, you're kidding me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that makes me so happy. And they threw me for a loop because, you know, you get the you get the usuals of like, you know, uh, Godfather and Shawshank and, yeah. you know, those kind of of good fellas. Uh, but when they said Digstown, I was like, oh, my God, that's yeah, that's fantastic. I love it. I love that movie. I love like, it. Love so it. The, Roadhouse a- gets thrown out a lot. It's like, a, oh, I can imagine Roadhouse would. A bad yeah, movie yeah. That, that people like. I think almost anything with Patrick Swayze is a, is a guilty <laughs> pleasure. Right. They're, they're, they're never great, but they're so fun. You know? Ghost for the ladies, Roadhouse for the boys. Go, go, go straight. Yeah, Dirty Dancing. <laughs> I mean, they're all like you're like it's not great, oh, but it's just fun too. to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Dirty Dancing. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, here's my theory, by the way, that I've come up with. So there's there's certain movies that over the years, the Patrick Swayze theory, like that. Um, this week I came up with the way people see Godfather one and two is really one movie, right? That's right. Rocky one and two, I think, are that same way. They're kind of. I do together. too. Yep. Um. But uh, even peripherally, I think you'll you'll appreciate this. If, if you're using consigliere like that, like, you know, for Godfather. Um, uh, oh, shoot. I lost my train of thought now. Amade- Were you going to say Amadeus? Or... Yeah. Consigliere. Uh, and then go back to, oh, Amadeus. This is one yes. of my favorite series. Why, um, why do they call it uh, Amadeus? Why is it titled Amadeus? 
the 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 name. Um, again, Wolfgang. On right, the but we Mozart. We're right? like you even mentioned before, like yeah, Mozart, early Mozart or late Mozart. Like why? It's his middle name. Yeah, I think it's another slight that we're going to make the name Amadeus. His middle name is going to be more famous than Salieri. Like that's how. Like like what a nice deep cut that like Wolfgang. You could have called the movie Wolfgang or Mozart, yep. and we all knew who it was talking about. Yes. But, Right, we would have, we would have both known that. But Amadeus, they choose the guy's middle name. It's almost like a further slight to Salieri, of hey, like his his middle name is going to be more famous than you. We're going to make a movie where his middle name and then there's songs and stuff. Right, but I I, I think that that's the wrinkle there. Like why call it Amadeus? It'd be like if they if they if people made a movie called a Joseph. Well, no one knows me by my middle name. I love that. I got right? goosebumps. I, 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 you did it to me again. The first time you did it to me was I was I was exploring it a little bit, and uh, and 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 uh, in print you did it. There's a theory mm. about Ferris Bueller's Day Off that it was a dream, yes. that it was this kid's dream about like what he and he was aspiring to be the ultimate version of himself. It starts in bed, it finishes in bed, and 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 I it blew me away because I love that movie. I can yeah. I can go chapter by chapter in that. I'm a John Hughes fan. I love yeah, that stuff. Me too. But the idea that the whole movie was a dream was astounding to me. And well, it really that, does make sense. Yeah, I call that one, you've seen it for the people listening to Henry Winkler theory, because Henry Winkler plays the Fonz, who's the coolest guy in the world. But if you've ever seen Henry Winkler in anything else, he's not cool at all. He's kind of <laughs> nerdy, nebbish kind of guy. And same thing with Matthew Broderick. He's, yep. You're telling me Matthew Broderick is the coolest kid in your school? He he didn't get a car. He got a computer. Yep. He plays the clarinet. Yep. You know, he's he's the he, kind of dorky brother of a hot, you know, older senior uh his, gal. Yeah, yeah. His best friend isn't cool. He's kind yeah. of dorky. Yeah, but it and and it isn't just like, hey, some of the cool people like him. Everyone loves her. That's exactly the dream a high school kid would nerdy high school kid would have, is that everyone loves him, not just certain people. Everyone loves him. So yeah, that's as I watched it, I was like, oh, this this has to be, you know, again, the the movie's fine without that theory. You don't need sure. that theory to enjoy it, but it's a nice extra layer to it. It's yeah, it's it's it melted my mind is what that layer did to me. Uh, did <laughs> it, do, to your to your knowledge before Mr. Hughes passed away, did anybody ask him that question? I not not that I know of, not oh. that I know. Now I have heard uh, other people came back to me with I guess someone else has espoused the theory that it's uh, Cameron's dream. I don't think that holds up because Cameron doesn't end up in bed at both ends. He is starts in bed, but he doesn't. Yeah. And why would, why would, if it's his dream, why would he give Ferris the, the girlfriend? And, yeah. You know, I mean, the ultimate redemption with his dad, uh, I mean, yeah. you know, that's obviously the, the, the case for, but uh, you know, the empowerment yeah. of, of, of it, but you know, maybe that's, but again, I see, I think that goes back to Ferris's my best friend is going to break out of this shell that he is in this prison that his father has created for him. He's going to stand up for himself and break out of yeah. that. It all works out. It works out for Sloan. It works out for him. It works out for Cameron. It works out for, yeah, to me that that's goes back right. to the original theory and, and just makes it even more uh, solidified. That is, yeah. uh, th so this is in a nutshell right now, the Maison movie club. This is what it, this is what it is. Each episode is something like this, just us. Yeah, breaking down, yeah, getting people's, yeah, there's also like, yeah, people just chiming in with like, I love this movie. I remember where I saw it. I love, I love the stories around movies. You know, there's, yeah. you know, the one, the ones you mentioned, <clears throat> I'm sure Godfather, the first time, first time you saw it or Rogue One, 
I would guarantee you remember the theater you saw it in the first yeah. time. Oh, yeah. You saw it with all that kind of stuff. There's these memories that go with with movies like that. And I love how they spill out into real life like that. So that's a lot of what we end up talking about. Rogue One actually gave me um, uh, hope for myself as an adult because it's so um, easily, a few other movies did the same thing. The Dark Knight did it for me as well. It so easily put me back into childhood mm. and got me to the place where I could recall that movie and 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 the scenes in it and 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 just it impacted me the same way that Empire did when I was a kid, right? Um, and then it just grew and grew and grew yeah. and the, the the depth of it just it became that. And as an adult, man, like I think I don't know when it came out. It was nineteen, maybe two thousand nineteen. So so I mean I'm in my forties, you know, maybe it was fifteen or sixteen. I forget. But um, you know, I'm in I'm in my forties at the time, and it made me feel like a kid again. And uh, and it gave me. Um, uh, a great satisfaction in that and so right. uh, yeah that 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 uh but i cannot wait to come on the show like i, I can't wait, wait to, to do this again with you yeah. this so, is yeah when i when i pick a movie please yeah if there's one you're excited about i love when people again the same way you were talking about earlier when when someone's passionate about something so if if you if there's a movie you love or even if you hate the movie i want to have you as a guest <laughs> oh i can't wait um god is there okay so is there anything else that we want to cover in your first appearance here on the Letterman podcast? I don't think so. I think, I think we've got, yeah, you've got so many, like I said, I love a, I, I usually get asked the same questions about, Oh, what was it like in the journey and that kind of thing. But I love that we got into so much of the deep stuff. And I obviously your love of, of Letterman and his shows or, you know, play into that. But yeah, I love the, the extra stuff that, that no one would think of like, yeah, you know, before and after the set, what, what happens yeah. then? Um, uh, so no, I think th I got everything. I think we did too, and I, I appreciate it so much. Are you? Uh, it just occurred to me. Are you still a member of the? Are you a member of the WGA? I, I'm not now. I was, okay. Yeah, so I you're not probably, on strike right now. Yeah, four or five years after, but yeah, not now. Okay, but we're still gonna um, we're gonna finish off here by by uh, giving a quick note to everybody who is affected by the strike. Um, there's a lot of a lot of people, big issues right now. Um, you know, we obviously support, uh, you know, the, the, the writers who are, who are out there right now trying to make sure that, uh, there's another generation that gets to come up and use their creativity, use their gifts. Um, you know, actors of course, too, as well. And, and I mean, complex issues here, uh, we want to just voice our support for the, uh, for, for, for those members right now. And let's, let's get a deal that everybody can 100%. be happy get with. So we get, yeah, we get more rogue ones and, uh, more, more episodes, more everything. Oh yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, uh, I'm watching Ahsoka right now going great. They're, they're putting at least another year on, on when the next season would be, if there's another season or whatever, 100%. like, like it's just all it's, there's going to be an empty wasteland for a while. And uh, please go back to work soon. So please corporations pay these people a wage where they can pay, where they can make yes. a career out of it. They can live where they need to live. And, um, and yeah, let's spread it around. That's, that's, what, that's, that's what I don't understand. Uh, you know, I, I'm simplifying this, right? Sure. Uh, but would wouldn't everything get better if that was the case? If they just pay, if if they pay? Now listen, I understand people being greedy and be like, I yeah, I do want to make thirty million a year as in bonuses and not give this to the writers. But I'm saying if if these people who are great writers and stuff, if all of a sudden they could make a living wage and that kind, of, wouldn't all our shows and entertainment get better? Wouldn't they? They're already great, but they'd all it would only get better. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Okay. Instead of twenty one episodes, if you can do eleven. And it's a better story. I get it. Let's just make sure everybody can still have a, make a living wage with those eleven. 
Let's yeah. figure out a way that that can happen. Yeah. So yeah, I, I totally am on the same page with you. Um, God, this is uh thank you so much. I'll, I'll say a quick goodbye and we'll say our, 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 uh, our goodbye, pri- our, our real goodbye privately. Um, okay. thank you. Steve. Mazon. Oh, uh, best way to find you. Steve, Mazon, Steve, Mazon.com. Steve, Mazon.com, uh, on all the social media at Steve, Mazon, M-A-Z-A-N. Uh, yeah, you can find me on, uh, yeah. TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Facebook is because of the chat feature of a commentary you know you can leave comments much more easily and have conversations yep. with other people that's where a lot of the movie club work gets done but yeah it's on instagram and, and tiktok as well and uh still taking bookings obviously always yes 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 always always there so be it come come out come out and laugh uh and and yeah check out you can see clips online from yeah letterman my dry bar uh other tv appearances all that stuff excellent okay um that's uh man i just as you can tell i love doing this show so much it's just the greatest it shows and yeah you're a good interviewer i like oh it. thank you brother i appreciate that so much um this has been another episode of the letterman podcast with mike chisholm coincidentally i am mike chisholm thank you and good night overcoat and underpants <laughs>